This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I know a lot of you are celebrating Juneteenth today, even though yesterday was technically June 19th. I gotta say, I- I've never been about this celebrating the holiday a- on the Monday after the weekend. I- I've never gotten it. To me, July 4th is July 4th. Now, I recognize that's impractical because there are certain rules. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, people get days off in their contract and the, uh, July 4th or Juneteenth or whatever the holiday might be, George Washington's birthday. That's always, uh, you know, you get that day and if it falls on a weekend, so be it. What are you supposed to do if Christmas falls on a Saturday, not get the day off? I get it. But to me, this is something not, I don't know, not exactly kosher about celebrating the holiday, not on the day that it actually is, but the Monday after the weekend. It is what it is. Hey, I, as you know, am a baseball fan. And I have been watching what has been going on in Chicago with great interest. Uh, Namely, the fact that one of the greatest managers in the history of Major League Baseball, Tony La Russa, I, I don't know how to put this gently, he seems to have... He seems to be a few aces short of a full deck at the moment. Now, Tony La Russa, who I can't stress enough, I think is not only a great intellect. I think he went to law school and was admitted to the bar, I believe. I know he graduated from law school. I don't think he ever practiced. But not only a great intellect and a great athlete, but I I can't stress this enough. This was one of the greatest managers in the history of baseball. And you notice I stressed was. He... Now, the Southside faithful in Chicago, they've begun to chant, fire Tony, all the time. Because, and and I'm sure this is not something that a lot of these fans, who in some cases grew up idolizing La Russa, have wanted to do. But his in-game decisions are growing incredibly bizarre. And at some point, a lot of folks think, It has to be stopped. Now, there's too many to list. The most recent uh, situation was a game a week or two ago where they were they were the the White Sox were pitching and playing defense. If you're not a sports fan, just bear with me two minutes. There's a point to all this. The White Sox were playing uh, defense and there's a batter uh, batting against the White Sox, Trey Turner. And Turner is a one and two count, one ball and two strikes. One strike away from a strikeout of this guy. So LaRusa decides in the middle of the at bat with a one and two count to intentionally walk this guy so that he could use a left handed pitcher to pitch against a left handed batter. They do that, they walk this guy. Again, it was already a one and two count, and they decide to issue an intentional walk. They walk this guy, and then the next batter who's now facing a left-handed pitcher, hits a game-winning home run, ends the game. Ends the game. 
And then LaRussa responded to the obvious questions about this bizarre call, which I've never seen before, something like that, with essentially indignant gibberish. And he was citing all these statistics that don't exist to support essentially an unsupportable case. He responds, and I'm sorry I didn't pull the audio, but he says, do you know what Turner hits against left-handed pitching with 0-1 or two strikes? Do you know what he hits? Do you know what Muncie hits with two strikes against left-handed pitching? I mean, is that really a question because it was 1-2? Turns out, as one might suspect, like everyone else, Turner doesn't hit much at 1-2. With a, His batting average in the similar circumstances was basically 197. And the batter that was up after him, Muncie, hits about as well versus lefties and righties. So there's a, a column in the New York Post maybe uh, a week ago, exactly a week ago. It was last Sunday. Tony LaRusse's shoddy managing hurting more than current White Sox. And it was written by John Heyman. And it says, begins this way. White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf always told folks his greatest regret was firing Tony LaRussa back in the 80s. Understandable, since LaRussa wound up winning three World Series, getting to six, and carving out a Hall of Fame managing career in both Oakland and St. Louis. But the way things are going on Chicago's south side, Reinsdorf's second greatest regret may become not firing LaRussa a second time. And apparently... They're saying LaRusa, they're keeping him there. They're keeping him there next season as well. He's earning about $3.75 million a year. And the fact of the matter is, as a manager, Tony LaRusa, from what I can tell, is past his prime. Past his prime. So, where's all this going? How does this relate to the current conversation? Jimmy Otto, who is one of my favorite human beings, used to be the borough president in Staten Island. Now he is a leading member of the Eric Adams administration. He's the chief of staff to the first deputy mayor. Thank God he's there, by the way. I can't imagine what would be coming out of this administration if he wasn't. But he tweeted something. He tweeted this article, and I had read this column about LaRusa, and he tweeted this article saying there's a whole lot to be said for willingly leaving on your own terms while still on the top of your game. And then he tagged three politicians who I know as well, who did just that. They left or are leaving at the top of their game, not when they're past their prime. So it got me thinking, what are some examples, not just sports, sports is the easiest one because sports for the most part is a young man's game. And it's easy to tell when you've kind of gone over the hill. It's a little tougher as a manager and a coach to tell that than as a player where you're obviously your physical stamina and your physical strength is so tied to your age. But in sports, in journalism, in talk radio, in Hollywood, in music, in literature, in pro wrestling, in any field, can you think of any examples of someone who stayed way past their prime? And I I came up with about 10 or 11. And then, same token, same question, can you think of anybody in any field, that could be business, whatever, that left at exactly the right time? Uh, Jim Carrey 
is in the new movie Sonic the Hedgehog 2 right now. He did an interview with Vanity Fair, and he says he's uh, fairly serious, or Access Hollywood, he said he's fairly serious about retiring. He says, um, I'm retiring, I'm being fairly serious, yeah. And then he said it's not written in stone, so he left a little wiggle room. He says it depends. If the angels bring some sort of script that's written in gold ink that says to me that it's going to be really important for people to see, I might continue down the road, but I'm taking a break. Now, Jim Carrey, if he if he stays with this, this retirement idea, he's leaving at essentially the top of his game. I mean, he's still very much in his prime. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, one of the biggest money-making movies this year. And he's still a bankable star and a, a very talented guy. He's not past his prime at all. So I think we can all think of a few examples of people in any field that have stayed too long at the party. And I think we can all think of a few examples of people who have exited at the top of their game. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Here are a couple of the ones that I came up with. And again, I'm not judging anyone here uh, for staying past the point that I think they should because, number one, as you'll see in some of the cases that I'm going to read, sometimes they need the money, right? Uh, That's, you know, the first person that I came up with because I was talking with someone about the movie Ed Wood recently was Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. He played Dracula. He played uh, Frankenstein. Obviously, everybody mostly associates Boris Karloff with Frankenstein, but there was at least one picture where Bar- uh, uh, Bela Lugosi played Frankenstein as well, and I think he did very well in that in that role. But he's great in everything. Black Friday. Bela Lugosi was an actor's actor. And uh, just to, when you picture Dracula, when you think of Dracula, who do you think of? You think of Bela Lugosi. And... Bella Lugosi had some problems, a lot of health problems down the line, and needed to pay some bills. He had uh, developed, I think, a serious alcohol problem, an addiction to methadone as well, and he had needed money. That's why he still kept on making these awful films long after he should have retired. This one, it, it's very, it's very painful for me to list the two people that I'm about to list because these were both friends of mine and these are both men that I grew up admiring a great deal. But one is Bob Grant. Bob Grant uh, should have, you know, Bob Grant retired a number, a couple of times. I think it was probably a mistake for him to come back to WABC the last time. And I worked with him uh, in that time and I was glad to have the opportunity to work with him but when he came back to do that weekend show, let's face it, 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 he wasn't Bob Grant anymore. He, he, it was, the tragedy was not that he couldn't still host a radio show. He could. The tragedy was people hearing Bob Grant in those days and thinking that's what Bob Grant sounded like. Because Bob Grant in his prime, which was 30, 40, 50, maybe even 50, not 50, but 30 or 40 years he, there was simply nobody better. When Bob came back that last run, I'm not talking about when he had his weeknight show on WABC, but when they brought him back in around uh, 2008, 
and he stayed on a couple of years just doing that weekend show. That was that was a shame. And I felt he damaged his legacy a bit. Another one uh, in the field of talk radio, Barry Farber. I think he stayed way too long. And I'll be honest, the last three or four years of Barry's radio career, you, you couldn't it didn't even sound like him. And, I, and I, Barry was a clo- close friend of mine. His daughters are still close friends of mine. And uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time with him. And I think in Barry's case, Barry didn't need the money. And Bob didn't need the money. I think in both of their cases, they wanted to do this because it kept them sharp. The process of preparing for a show every day, the process of doing show prep every day, going through the news, it, it kept them very, very uh, mentally sharp. Otherwise, who knows what would have happened. Those are two examples. Again, sports is always the easiest example. Muhammad Ali definitely not only damaged his legacy, I think, by staying way too long, but I, he was somebody that probably damaged his health uh, and exacerbated his Parkinson's d- uh, disease or at least worsened, the, you know, hastened the onset of it. Muhammad Ali is an easy example. You remember when Willie Mays played for the Mets? If you do, that's a shame because Willie Mays really should not have come back to the Mets. Obviously, it was great for the Mets fans to be able to see Willie Mays. He was way past his prime. The same thing with Hank Aaron when he went to the Brewers. If you look at I have one Hank Aaron baseball card, and it's this this baseball card of Hank Aaron when he was with the Brewers. And he looks I mean, he was probably only 40. The guy looks 80 in this baseball card. And he, he just looks tired. So um, 800-848-9222. Doesn't matter the field. Sports, music, movies, radio, journalism, politics. I have a few other examples here, but I want to see what you come up with. Someone who left at exactly the right time or... Someone that stayed way longer than they should have. 800-848-WABC. I'll tell you, as someone who left, I think, at exactly the right time, while he was still at the top of his game, John Gambling. John Gambling, when he retired the last time in 2015 or 2016, he was still as good as any, as good or better as anyone on the radio. And he's made the decision. There have been a lot of offers. I know this for a fact. There's been a lot of offers for John to come back and do radio. John has no interest in coming back. So obviously talk radio is a field that I'm most acquainted with as both a fan and a participant. But give me your list. Who do you think stayed way too long? And who do you think left at the top of their game? Top of their game. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Gail is in Manhattan. Hello there, Gail. Hi there. Um Two two things I want to say. I'll be quick. Joan Crawford stayed in her uh, acting career too long. She had a brilliant career mm. of 30 years or so, and then uh, just couldn't give it up. And her final movies were embarrassing, mm. just kind of grotesque caricatures of, of her image. Yeah, I, I, I agree I with you. I, I've tried to watch some of those later pictures, and uh, uh, I think embarrassing is the right word. Another point I want to make real quick. I want to thank you. I'm sure you heard this John Hinckley uh, supposedly sold out um, music concert was canceled. Uh, for just from what I heard, 
they were uh, saying due to opposition or pushback against it. I haven't heard any other than what than your uh, what you were saying about it last week, which was I agree with you totally, and I think that maybe just uh, as a result of what you said, it was canceled. So the influence you have is very far-reaching. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mentioned that on Friday. I don't know if it was due to anything I said, but um, I, I am pl- – look, uh, again, I don't begrudge anybody um, once they get over their, their issues, whether it's mental health issues or criminal issues, uh, a right to earn a living. But as I said with the Hinckley thing, my fear was – that would encourage someone else who's suffering from mental health issues um, to go out and do something like try to kill a president because they think that would make them a star or wealthy. And uh, I think that would have been a very, very slippery slope and a dangerous precedent. So I'm thrilled that they canceled that show. The only reason, really, people were going to the show was uh, kind of grotesque just because he had – done what he did. Right. Uh, Right you are. Gail, thanks for the call. 800-848-WABC. Chris is in Bethpage. Chris, hello. Hey, Frank. Um, Sorry it pains me to say this, but and I was a big, big fan, but there's no doubt Don Imus stayed on way too long. Um, Once Charles McCord left, I forget the exact year, but it really went downhill from there. I mean, he had Colin McShane on, who was good. I like him, but... um, he used to do this thing just about every day where he'd talk about his son's rodeo uh, performances. And then, uh, you know, he would bring on um, – who else would he bring on? There was someone else he brought on, and I was just like, enough's enough. He would talk – oh, his wife. His wife would mm. come on all the time, Deirdre. And she would talk about, you know, stuff in the air that's causing uh, – poisons and stuff and it just the show really got away from him the entertainment value went down the only time i listened was he was a great interviewer and he still was towards the end but um for four hours a day from six to ten you know chris that's a great example and i'm surprised that i didn't think of that one on my own because i remember when when imus was on People, including the people that he worked with, were all saying the same thing to me. They were saying Imus should have retired right around the time McCord retired, if not sooner. And that uh, in some ways, you know, having him go on the air every day, uh, rant about the rodeo, interview Deirdre about some pseudoscience thing that she was promoting uh, in between coughing fits, uh, that a lot of people who worked with him and were fans of him said that he was really damaging his legacy uh, in that in that regard. That is a great one, a great example. And and I get what you're saying. It's like me with Bob Grant and Barry Farber. You say you're saying this really out of love, not out of uh, not of any sort of enmity for him. That's a good one, Chris. Thank you. Um, Here's a couple of folks that I've found left at exactly the right time other than John Gambling. In politics, Peter King. Peter King, uh, the congressman, retired while he was still at the top of his game. He was as energetic as ever. He was as intellectually busy as ever. His clout and his influence within D.C., even in a Democratic administration, even in a Democratic House, was at its, uh, maybe not at its apex, because when he was chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, that's probably when he was at his most influential, but right up there. As as influential and ha- wi- as any member of Congress uh, on the Republican side and was in a district that was very competitive, meaning it was not a full 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 on red district, a very competitive district and was still showing that he can win. And uh, I think Peter King is a guy that left at the top of his game in sports. There was a couple that came to mind. 
One, I think the best example is Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano never lost a professional boxing match. I think he was 49-0. I'm not a boxing historian, so I could be off a little bit. Maybe it was 50, maybe it was 39, I don't know. But he left without ever losing a match. That's impressive. Now, you contrast that with guys like Muhammad Ali and guys like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson uh, basically retired after a match, after getting knocked down by a tomato can, and he said, um, and you see this in the documentary they made about Mike Tyson, he basically said, I, I can't l- lose to this caliber of fighter, essentially. So Mike Tyson, uh, Muhammad Ali, sports is always the easy uh, example. But, you know, a lot of people believe Frank Sinatra stayed performing way too late and way longer than he should have been. In politics, I don't think there's a better example than uh, Strom Thurmond. Some people are saying the same thing now about Senator Dianne Feinstein, that they're not the same senator that they were when they were first elected. Uh, in journalism, the best example that I could think of, at least of print journalists, columnists, was Jimmy Breslin. Jimmy Breslin, and Jimmy was a friend of mine, Jimmy Breslin was one of the most gifted, most um, most intellectually stimulating columnists in history. And they brought him back to write a column for the Daily News about eight years ago. And I would try to follow this column. It was a Sunday column, from what I remember. And it was essentially just gibberish. I I couldn't make out what he was saying in these columns. So Jimmy Breslin is a guy that stayed way too long. Again, in motion pictures, Billy Wilder, the director Billy Wilder, who was... Great directing films like uh, The Apartment and, um, you know, all those great Billy Wilder's films. But he also directed later in his, oh, he directed Some Like It Hot. But then he made all these horrible films like Buddy Buddy. You know who looks at Billy Wilder as a cautionary tale? Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino says he's only going to direct, I forget what the magic number is, something like... um, like uh, 10 films or a dozen. Fi- yeah, 10. Tarantino said he's only going to direct 10 films because he's looked at Billy Wilder as a cautionary tale. So 800-848-9222. Tell me who you think hung it up at just the right time. Tell me who you think stayed way too long. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Great show again. Um, what I want to say is that gambling might have quit in the right time because perhaps you, you didn't want to be his producer. He loved you as a producer, if I remember. He, am I, am I well, thank you. No, but no, I, I would have uh, worked with John as long as he wanted me there. No, no, I'm not making a joke. But oh, I'm saying, that's funny. He really thank loved you. you as a producer. He, he, he was crazy about you. I remember that. But I wanted to say Seinfeld left exactly on time. They opened double, triple, whatever. But he wanted to leave when people wanted more. It was a great move, in my opinion. I agree with you. You know, that's that's that was on my list, too, and I figured some people were going to call uh, about that. Um, Seinfeld, as a sitcom, left at the top of his game. And you're right. He, um, he could have essentially written his own ticket. The head of GE yeah, at the know, time, exactly. Jack Welch, essentially offered him carte blanche. He could have made $100 million for one more season, had yeah. no interest. Uh, Frank, I want to know something. Is it true, I read someplace or heard someplace, that in those days when they made pilots for new shows, whatever, right, uh, after one or two weeks, if it didn't hit, they stopped it. This one, they had enough sense to let it uh, percolate, you know, four weeks. 
and then it took off because they realized, that's what I heard, they realized the producer, director, whatever, that made the shows that you have to get used to these characters to appreciate them. Is that true? Well, that's my understanding. Uh, I mean, they were really struggling ratings-wise. Their first season, Seinfeld, uh, they were, or even their second season, they were losing to Jake and the Fat Man in the ratings. And uh, you're right. Uh, Warren Littlefield, who was the head of NBC at the time, believed in the show. Brandon Tartikoff, who was the head of NBC, the president of NBC, believed in the show. And so they stuck with it because they believed the show was funny. And, you know, sometimes you got to do that. Thank you, Charles, um, for that. 800-848-9222. Let me take a quick break. We'll continue with this conversation in just a minute. And uh, if you're interested in it, and if not, believe me, I have a lot of other things that we got to get to as well. Uh, Hey, and still to come, I don't know if you heard my preview with Dominic Carter, four o'clock hour, Keelan Darby is going to be here. You know who she is? Keelan Darby is a police officer and the wife of a Huntsville, Alabama police officer by the name of Ben Darby. Ben Darby, her husband, is currently sitting in prison for murder. He's serving a prison sentence, a 25-year prison sentence for murder. And Needless to say, his wife feels like she like he got a wrong a raw deal. She's going to join us in the four o'clock hour and explain why. This is a discussion I don't think you're going to want to miss. Uh, continue with your calls in a minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. You know, it's funny, Bernie Carrick called me as I was driving into work last night, and we were talking about a bunch of things, and uh, he said to me, and what do you think about crime in this city? I mean, can you believe what's happening? And I said, when I cross the border into Manhattan, this is the song that's playing in my brain, <laughs> because it's crazy out there. Anarchy is prevailing. Uh, of course, uh, Guns and Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. Now... Uh, I, I, I hate to say that because w- when I was growing up in New York, it was much worse than it is now. So in the gr- broader scheme of things, New York is still much safer than it was 30, 35, 40 years ago. But it's a different city than it was 10 years ago. That's for sure. I'll say that. All right. Um, we're talking a little bit about people who stay too long at the party. You know, speaking of New York, speaking of politics, I'm not saying this because we'll see how it goes, but there's this very competitive race for Congress right now where Bill de Blasio is running, Carlina Rivera is running, a number of prominent Democrats are running. I think Simca Felder is running. And you know who one of the candidates is? Liz Holtzman. Liz Holtzman is 80 years old. Liz Holtzman was a congresswoman 
in her prime during Watergate. Remember, she was a star in those Watergate hearings. She rode her stardom in Congress to becoming the Brooklyn DA. And then she was a star prosecutor as the Brooklyn DA. She rode her uh, stardom as a young, aggressive prosecutor in Brooklyn, aggressive and progressive prosecutor in Brooklyn, to becoming the New York City controller. And then she was defeated, I think, about 30 years ago. And now she's running for Congress again at 80. I'm not saying she's past her prime because I haven't seen how she's stood up in these debates and things like that. But a lot of people are saying that she's someone who just didn't know when to hang him up. So we're making a list of folks that you think, one, left at the top of their game, and two, people who stayed way, way too long and damaged their own legacy. 800-848-WABC. Matt Blaze, I know you're a wrestling fan. You have any contributions to our list on either either front? Oh, just um, all the old wrestlers stay too long. Hogan stayed too long. Flair stayed too long. Snooker stayed too long. Uh, Albano, as a wrestler, he left probably at the right time. Mm-hmm. He became a manager. Gorilla Monsoon left at the right time. Actually, he left maybe a little bit late because he had a lot of problems. Um, sports people that left at the right time. Two on the same team at different times, Barry Sanders mm. and Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I had Barry Sanders on my list. Uh, I didn't think of Calvin Johnson. The, the other sports figure that I thought of was Tiki Barber, yeah. who oh, still yeah. left at the, the top, at the top of his game. In terms of wrestling, I think the most obvious example is Bruno Sammartino. The guy was the biggest oh, star yeah. in the world. Not just the biggest wrestling star in the world, but the biggest star in the world. And then, I mean, if you look at his later matches, when, I know he was trying to help his son I mean, right. it was ridiculous. I mean, it was it was embarrassing, quite frankly. Somebody emailed me uh, that they thought Rich Little was a good example of uh, somebody that has stayed way past his prime. I would agree with that one. Um, and then one that I'm not sure I agree with. Eh, I guess I do. He also emailed me Orson Welles, uh, somebody that stayed past his prime. But it's funny. If you look at some of the things that Orson Welles was doing later in his career, they still hold up. Um, but I don't think anybody could say he was at the top of his game at the time that he was doing movies like Casino Royale or doing voiceovers for stuff like the Transformers. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Walt is in Yonkers. Hello, Walt. Yes. Uh, hi, Frank. Um, hi. Uh, three of them. I have Gene Hackman. As somebody that left at the right time or somebody that stayed too long? Exactly. No, yeah. he stayed at the right I, time. I, I agree with you. He's on my list, too, actually. Uh, Charlton Heston. Well, yeah. And Bruce Willis. Okay. Uh, the, uh, well, I think in the case of Heston and Willis, they essentially left because of health issues. They didn't choose to leave yeah. at the right time. But um, but I, I, th- I agree with you completely on Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman was still making great films. Uh, when he decided to retire about 18 years ago and probably had another good 10 years of making a ton of money, and he chose not to. And I give him a lot of credit for that. 800-848-WABC. Ray in New Jersey. Hello. How you doing, Frank? Great show as usual. Thank you. Um, just real quick, real quick, musically, look at Paul McCartney still kicking it at 80, and the Stones still pushing 80, and they're still kicking it real good. But I just wanted to get back to Larusa in a minute. I, I'm not ready to canonize him. Uh, I know, I know we're not all perfect, but he does have a DUI arrest back in 2020. He is almost 80, 77. But back in 1989, 
he turned a blind eye, like many others did, to steroids. I mean, his top two players looked like the Michelin man, uh, Conseco and um, Maguire. And he knew what was going on, and he kept his mouth shut. Yeah, um, that's a fair criticism. That's a a fair criticism, Ray. Um, I think if you look, taken on balance, even the – first of all, I'm not going to pass judgment on the DUI issue because that doesn't affect him as a baseball manager. The turning a blind eye to the steroids, maybe it does. I get – and thanks for the call, Ray. I guess some people would say that, look, that's not his job to police the players. It's the job of the league. But I think that's a fair criticism. I still think on balance, if you look at what he did with the Cardinals, and the athletics, um, the guy was a great manager. He was. The fact of the matter is, he no longer is. 800-848-WABC. Arnold in Brooklyn has somebody that was on my list as well. Hello, Arnold. Yeah, the guy that left on top, even though he had no choice, was Sandy Koufax. Why did he have no choice? He went, took trips to the doctor, and he said, this is it. I see. So he left due to, the, the, he left due to an injury? Yeah, I don't know if it was a structural thing or a wear and tear thing, but uh, he said, I I'm not going to be at the same picture anymore. Interesting. Okay. I, yeah, I, I, I had him on my list as somebody that I thought voluntarily left at the time that he did. I didn't realize that. Um, well, you know, he could have faked it and then uh, you'd see the difference. Right. Well, yeah, a lot of people say Mickey Mantle stayed too long. Had he retired a couple of years earlier, he would have had over a 300 lifetime batting average. Instead, he stuck at that 298 mark. Uh, Rick is in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hello, Rick. Hi, how are you? Good. I love the show. Thanks. Um, So both of my choices have already been stated, but um, Seinfeld, without a doubt, he left at the top of his game. Uh, You know, uh, people criticized the final episode, but there's no other way they could have ended that show. Yeah, the final episode I thought was terrific, honestly. It it really was. I I mean, it was genius. You know, on the other hand, uh, I hate to say it, but the Stones, I don't want to argue with Ray from Jersey, but the Stones, they should have hung it up a while ago. Well, why, why, I mean, why, Ray from New Jersey, he's not the Pope. Why, why do you hesitate to argue with Ray from New Jersey? What do you care about Ray in New Jersey for? He's not going to come down to Virginia. He seemed like a cool guy. Yeah, he know. does seem cool. But, so, but you think you don't agree with his analysis of the Stones. You think they, they're, they're done. They're, they're oh, not I performing. I think they were done after, like, Some Girls was a great album, but everything after that, I'm like, eh. You you know. Know? Plus, I got to say, their, their drummer from the very beginning dies, and they're like, eh, that sucks to be him. Let's keep, <laughs> let's keep touring. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Rick, that's a great point. I can't speak to the Stones because I uh, I haven't seen them perform. I have some friends that have seen them perform lately, and they say that they, they, they're still great. But how much of that is your imagination and your fandom of the Stones carrying you the, through the concert? And how much is still them being great? I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Joe in Westchester. Hello, Joe. Uh, hello, Frank. Uh, love the show. Thanks. I think uh, – too long uh, would be Bobby De Niro and Ringo Starr, and uh, left uh, at the at the top of her game was Condoleezza Rice. You know, De Niro is a good one. Um, th- I would probably agree with that. Although I thought he was good in The Irishman, but I, I I think it would be tough to argue that he's at the top of his game right now. Uh, I I don't think you could say that he is. And if you look at uh, both he and Al Pacino, who was also in The Irishman. If you look at the films they've made over the last 10 years and you look at how many great performances they've put in over the last 10 years, 
it's a very small percentage. I mean, De Niro's been in some good movies, don't get me wrong. Pacino has, too. Uh, the Joker, for instance. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, uh, I, I like The Irishman. But it's I don't think the movies were great because of their performances, uh, to be honest. 800-848-WABC. Mark is in Hawthorne, New Jersey. Hello, Mark. Uh, good evening. Yeah, I thought it was kind of sad. Uh, Dick Clark, uh, when he did the, uh, you know, the um, New Year's Eve shows, and I think after he had gotten sicker, I wasn't sure it's some type of palsy or whatever. Right, he had a stroke. He had a stroke. Yeah, and I just thought it was was cruel to him almost, but... You know, it's funny. It's funny. I thought about Dick Clark because clearly when he's doing these New Year's Eve countdowns and he can no longer speak... It's not the Dick Clark that we all remember growing up, America's oldest teenager. But I remember even debating this at the time. Um, There's a lot of people that suffer from strokes and have a difficult time speaking. And I think both in the case of Dick Clark and Kirk Douglas, the fact that they continued to try to perform even while their speech was noticeably affected because of their stroke – I kind of thought that that was uh, a way of giving hope to other stroke victims. To, to, to That's a fair assessment, you know, for valor and a, a meritous type thing. I, I would have to agree with you, but it was still hard yeah, to watch. Yeah, I hear you. Mark, I can't disagree with you. It was difficult to watch, but I, I kind of felt that, you know, I think it's such a shame when someone suffers a really debilitating illness and they're not the same person that they feel that they need to hide. And my thinking with Dick Clark and Kirk Douglas was, I hope some people that have suffered from strokes see what they're doing and say, okay, I don't have to be afraid to go out anymore. People will be familiar with that, um, you know, after after seeing Dick Clark and Kirk Douglas. I hear what you're saying, though, Mark. You're not you're not necessarily wrong. Hey, Saturday was um, was Dominic Carter's birthday, so I tweeted. I, I had a tweet ready to go on Saturday. And uh, it was a picture of Dominic, Rita, and me. And I didn't get to it until Sunday, but I, I still tweeted it. I was I had a busy day Saturday, as I'll explain a little later. But um, then Dominic thanked me for my nice tweet. I said, yeah, the way I figure it, it, one, at least I'll fool people into thinking we actually get along with one another. And two, um, this way I, I don't feel bad about not getting you a gift or a card. I could just put out a tweet on uh, on social media and uh, he he left at that. But if you want to see that photo, which I think is pretty good, of uh, of Dominic and Rita, R- Dominic, Rita, and me, the evening lineup, uh, that you could find it on my Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. Uh, Leo is on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, British band Led Zeppelin. After the the, the drummer John Bonham died. Led Zeppelin, you said. Yes, Led uh-huh. Zeppelin. After the Bonham died, they could replace him and try to somehow continue, but they just at that moment they stopped, and 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 there's a big legacy going for all the years. They still one of the most recognized and best bands, and uh, and uh, and uh, in a sport, I think on the edge of uh, of losing it. Is uh oh my goodness what what's his name? 
Well, what field is Tiger, he in? Tiger Woods. Oh, Tiger, Tiger Woods. Woods. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he, he uh, right, right. I mean, ahead, we'll see. Leo, thanks for the call. Uh, you're right. I think on. I don't know enough about Led Zeppelin and the kind of music they're putting out now uh, to say whether or not you're right about Led Zeppelin. In the case of Tiger Woods, you're certainly right. Obviously, if he's able to make a kind of a comeback from this injury like he has previously and he is able to perform like he used to, then we'll eat our words. But at the moment, you're absolutely right in the case of uh, of Tiger Woods. Mark's in Garden City. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. Hey. Frank, uh, I agree with you on that uh, Dick Clark point, by the way, because I used to really admire him. I mean, he would kiss his wife at midnight during those years mm-hmm. after he had the stroke. And I just thought it was really admirable that he soldiered on like that. But anyway, I was calling you um, – for somebody who left at the top of their game in sports, Bill Parcells, the football coach. You know, that's a great example. Uh, he could have made a lot of money as a as a coach. And obviously he's not uh, he's not starving. He could do other things after coaching. But that's somebody that was very much in demand as a coach, could have coached probably at any team in the NFL. And you're right. He, he left coaching. I think John Madden, same thing. John Madden and Bill Parcells left coaching at uh, precisely the right moment. I would agree with that completely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you. 800-848-WABC. Eddie is in New Jersey. Hello, Eddie. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Um, so, yeah, I feel like politics is just so commonplace because of the culture. You know, everyone just stays on as long as they could keep power. But I was just thinking that if John McCain um, and Johnny Isaacson, for that matter, would have retired at, you know, when they were in their prime, John McCain stayed on. He he had he died in office. If they would have stayed on. The Republicans would still have been in control of Congress now because they weren't up for re-election until twenty-two. Yeah, you know that's a good point. Uh, I think McCain. Uh, I, look, uh, you can go down the list. Uh, probably, you know the the one you know, one guy that I did th- I do think stayed uh, was pr- pretty sharp into his mid to late eighties was Orrin Hatch. But except for him. I think all these senators that stay on until their mid to late eighties, in the case of Strom Thurmond, the nineties, you're not the same senator. You're not you're not delivering for your constituents as well as you did formerly. In my opinion, I'm a big believer in term limits, not just for that, but for a host of reasons. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Al's in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Hi, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, in uh, city politics, uh, I thought Mayor Koch stayed too long when he ran for fourth unprecedented term. Uh, his third term was problematic with the Best Meyerson scandal, and the race relations really deteriorated in his third term. I, I agree with you. I agree with everything you just said, and I'm an Ed Koch fan, and uh, loved him as a personality, but you're right. His third term was a disaster, and the fact that he thought it would be a good idea to run for a fourth term after the debacle of the third term is something that uh, I, I'll, I'll never understand. That's a great, great one. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll take a few more of these, and then we'll we'll move on to other things. i got a lot to get to. Ken is in Ocean County. Hello, Ken. Hi, Frank. I'm interested in your opinion on George Burns. Does he deserve another category? He always said he'd play Caesars at 100 I, years I, old. I, you know, obviously, I never saw George Burns perform in his uh, mid-90s. But I think some of the... I think George Burns kind of reinvented himself as an older comic and an older personality. I see some of the films that he was putting out in his 80s and 90s. 
Honestly, I thought they were terrific. I mean, if you look at uh, oh, the where he played God in those in those three films that he did, I thought he did great. Now that was a very different type of personality and a different character than when he was doing Burns and Allen. But I, I don't agree on George Burns. I think George Burns um, he just kind of reinvented himself as an older guy. I don't think he stayed too long as a public performer. I don't. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Now maybe you can make a case that Don Rickles did. Um, he stayed and kept performing way past the time that he should have retired. Vinny's at the Jersey Shore. Hello, Vinny. Hi, Frank. Um, yeah, um, I agree with you about George Burns. He was ter- he was terrific when it was over. Also, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say that um, um, as far as um, Muhammad Ali is concerned, I think he stayed. He stayed too long. Uh, um, you know, it, it, it would hurt me to see him take beatings when he was older, which um, were unnecessary. And um, um, I'd like to say that I think that Rocky Marciano got out at, at the right time when when, when he was No before. question. Yeah, I, I mentioned Rocky Marciano. I think that's the best example, at least in the sports arena. That's the best example of somebody that voluntarily he could have stayed, could have had another 10, 12 fights, could have made a ton of money, even if he lost, and he didn't. And he chose to leave at the top of his game. All right. I'm going to leave this topic at the top of my game, 800-848-WABC. Uh, we'll cover some other issues when we come back. A little bit later, you're going to meet a police officer whose husband is sitting in prison for murder. She thinks he got a raw deal. She'll explain why. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A big thank you to everybody that uh, reached out to me yesterday to wish me a um, a happy Father's Day. A ton of listeners sent me emails or reached out on Facebook or sent me SMS text messages, uh, you know, sending, um, you know, well wishes on my first uh, Father's Day. And I really was thrilled. Um, And, you know, uh, one of our greatest listeners, Ellen, who I, I think is a national treasure. If if there were 100,000 more Ellens, the world would be a much better place. But Ellen actually sent us a uh, edible arrangements uh, in honor of Father's Day and a very sweet note. So that was very, uh, very kind. And um, I appreciate that very much. Also, another listener, Nancy in Manhattan, sent a very kind note as well. Um, so thank you, everybody, that reached out. I was thrilled to be able to spend the day with, uh, with Carmine, and uh, he and his mother were a delight on uh, on Father's Day. My wife Rachel, they uh, they they got they got me and him these two shirts, and he got me a black t shirt with a pizza on it, and it's got a slice missing. And Carmine got a black t shirt with a slice of pizza on it. So I thought that was really cute, and we both wore our pizza shirts today, him being basically a slice of my pizza pie. So that was really nice, and uh, he was in a very good mood um, most all, just about the whole day today. So he was delightful, and I got to spend a lot of time with him. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and then we went uh, the, we went to my uh, dad's and had uh, 
uh, you know, beautiful weather, too. So uh, my dad and I got to share a cigar and uh, a little bit of whiskey, and I got to spend the day with um, my siblings as well. And uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, just a, a very, very fun day. They also got me these socks with Carmine's picture on it. So I'm going to wear those tomorrow. Really, I, I do wear a lot of these creative socks, sometimes socks with presidents on them or other things. And I'm looking forward to wearing these these bright blue Carmine socks that have his picture on it. And uh, my my wife is aware of my ever-expanding collection of presidential bobblehead dolls. And uh, she added one to my collection by getting me a Lyndon Johnson bobblehead doll. So that was a lot of fun. I'll tell you, you know what's happening today? There's another debate in the governor's race. This time, a Republican debate on New York One. I'm going to be watching it. And I've, I've already decided, like, it doesn't matter who I'm supporting because I can't vote in either the Democrat or the Republican primaries. But if I was a Democrat, as I said on Friday when the caller asked, I, I would vote for Tom Suozzi enthusiastically. And if I were a Republican, I would vote for Andrew Giuliani. And I am really frustrated that they are forcing Andrew Giuliani to participate remotely again today because he's not vaccinated. Uh, Andrew Giuliani was at a press conference with Curtis yesterday here in New York City talking about how Spectrum is not letting him participate in person. New York One Spectrum News has imposed a COVID mandate saying that I can actually not come in the building again to debate my opponents eye to eye. Now, the craziest part about this is if you go back and you look on April 27th, I actually was allowed in the exact same studio that the debate will be happening, sitting at arm's length from Pat Kiernan, who is the morning anchor, along with their weather on the ones person who was arm's length from me as well. So where is the science on this? What are we actually following when it comes to this? Is there Are there inconsistencies from April 27th of this year to today? On top of that, I was actually in Spectrum One Studios in Albany on May 24th was the date, on May 24th. And now I can't actually come in and debate my opponents eye to eye. Uh, How do you argue with that? The guy was in studio on New York One to do Pat Kiernan's show in April. All of a sudden, I mean, he was no more vaccinated in April than he is now. All of a sudden, now he can't come in studio? I mean, it's ridiculous. How do these guys justify the inconsistency? They should make him take a negative test, take a test, show that he's negative before admitting him to the building. That's it. Period. This is the silliest thing in the world. Andrew Giuliani yesterday. Look, I've proposed with my opponents and I've proposed with Spectrum One another place to do this where all four of us could be in there. That came to no avail over here. I was the only gubernatorial candidate that stood up and said, I will not comply with what I believe are these absurd health mandates at this point in it. And I stand with all those New Yorkers who have lost their job, all those firefighters, all those police officers, all of the nurses, uh, all the sanitation workers that have lost their job. And I have pledged on day one, any of these COVID mandates that exist will be shredded and anybody who lost their job will get their job back with back pay. I'll tell you, irrespective of what you think of Andrew Giuliani or any of the candidates, I think you have to agree that what New York One is doing here is just ludicrous. 
and incredibly inconsistent, irrespective of who you're supporting. Don't you think Andrew should be able to participate in person? I, mean, I think it's just absurd. And, you know, Zeldin, was, who I think came across very poorly in the last debate, he is uh, agreeing to participate in this New York One debate tonight. And initially he was a late entrant. He wasn't going to participate. But I think he must be seeing some internal poll numbers because he's getting hammered in direct mail and in TV commercials by Harry Wilson. We have three or four TV screens on at uh, in the station here. And I find every time I look up, one of them has a negative ad, Harry Wilson bashing Lee Zeldin. So Zeldin is participating. We'll see if he has a better night tonight than he did in the Channel 2 debate. And then the the one to really watch is going to be Tuesday when they participate in this Newsmax TV debate. Because Newsmax is a national network, number one, not just local like Channel 2 or New York One is. And it also has a very broad viewership with conservatives. So that's going to be important for a uh, Republican primary. So I'd be curious what you think, whether you like Andrew, whether you don't like Andrew, whether you can't stand all the Republicans. Isn't this absurd on the part of New York One that they didn't demand to see his vaccination card when he was in studio in April? They had no problem with him in studio. And now that he's going to be in a debate, they say, oh, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Can't come in if you're not vaccinated. Well, I wasn't vaccinated in April. Why was it okay for me then? To me, it makes no sense. 800-848-WABC, if you can explain it. Hey, coming up, Bill Clinton had some very interesting remarks on the Late Late Show. I'll tell you what he had to say. And a lady that I'll admit is probably crazy has had some interesting things to say. I can't make out what she's saying, but perhaps you can. Listen in, and all will be soon revealed to you. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until then, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So Bill Clinton was on the Late Late Show with James Corden and our very own Alex Barnard, as I was watching a little bit of this appearance on Friday morning, volunteered that um, he is not a fan of James Corden. Now, nobody asked Alex Barnard what his opinion of James Corden was, but he had no problem volunteering that. And now we're all very clear. He went on a whole James Corden rant. Matt, didn't you find that bizarre that Alex went out of his way? I mean, it's not like we were sitting around saying, oh, what do you think of James Corden? What do you think of James Corden? He, I mean, he was like a he, bull. He, like, really Charging hates... at this uh, red cape. Yeah, you know? like he really hates James Corden. What do you think what that was about? Uh, jealousy? You do. Interesting. Yeah, well, we know Alex is a frustrated rock star. Yeah. And he, he, he wishes he came up with carpool karaoke. 
are I you forgot kidding? that he did that. No, if if I sang as poorly as James Corden did in front of the people who wrote the songs that uh you know, in the same car as them, I would I would be so embarrassed. I can't believe he makes any amount of money. Well, on he, television. I think he's doing well and he is retiring or he's leaving the late late show. I, by the way, I am trying to we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll let Alex speak for himself in just a second, but um I am trying to take over as the new uh the new host of the late late show. But uh if you want to help with that, you should use the hashtag on Twitter late late frank frank. Hashtag late late frank frank. Ryan, were you present for Alex's unhinged James Corden rant? I was not aware that this took place. No, oh, no, you are. Okay, so this was Friday as we were waiting for the post-show meeting uh, to start. It was a little a little, little bizarre that you went on this whole James Corden rant. First of all, who cares? I mean, you know, but you, you, you were very adamant that you don't like James Corden. Well, first of all, I will say sometimes I go on unhinged rants when I'm, like, really tired. Uh-huh. And I was, I was starting to, you know, get a little... Uh, late night jet lag, shall we say, uh-huh. at that time. But my my problem with James Corden is more. I first saw him on Doctor Who. Actually, he was sort of a side character in a like a really, um, like a one off episode that didn't really even involve the Doctor. They do sometimes to film episodes concurrently. Um, and I thought he was good in that. So when he got the gig, I thought, oh, this could be kind of fun. You know, a British, you know, another British guy on late night television in, uh, well, I guess uh, Craig Ferguson is Irish, but. Or, right, Scottish, um, I think. Okay, right. But um, still, someone from across the pond, you know, hosting another American show could be kind of fun. And I found his whole demeanor on late night television to be kind of just annoying. Like, I feel like he's almost like the Ellen of late night all television. Right. So, you know, all right. Uh, it's well, too much positivity. All right. Well, speaking of um, of side characters, go back to the side that you were on. Fair enough. Um, now, again, I bring up James Corden not because, um, you know, want to do a whole thing. I don't really care about James Corden. I don't spend much time thinking about James Corden. Clearly, I was just surprised that Alex does. And clearly, James Corden is occupying a lot of real estate in Alex's brain. I watched some of this interview that he did with President Clinton on Wednesday night. And I don't know that President Clinton does that many late night interviews these days. I got to tell you, you know, I have thought Bill Clinton has not been looking and sounding good. I mean, I don't think he looks healthy. I don't think he has been sounding healthy. I'll tell you, on this show, on this Wednesday night appearance with James Corden, looked great and sounded pretty good, too. And he caught my he piqued my interest when they were talking a little bit about Roswell and Area 51. Now, this week, essentially this summer, is the 75th anniversary of the Roswell, New Mexico incident. That's when uh, there was the rumor that a flying saucer crashed at, in Roswell. And since then, that has become the unofficial epicenter of UFO interest. Now, we interviewed the mayor of Roswell, New Mexico, uh, about a year ago. He invited us to come down there and do our show from down down there, and that's something I'd still like to do. They also have these cool little UFO fests, which I'd love to go down there for. But listen to what President Clinton had to say on the subject of Roswell, New Mexico, and Area 51. Listen to this, and then tell me if – look, Bill Clinton is not necessarily known – for 
his ability to tell the truth. He's got a lot of talents, very skilled politician, very smart man. Um, I don't think anybody would say that one of his strengths is honesty, right? Listen to what President Clinton says here, and then I want you to call me and just tell me if you think Bill Clinton's telling the truth. Yes, no, or maybe. 800-848-WABC. Here's uh, President Clinton on the uh, CBS Late 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 Night with James Corden. Recent release of Pentagon uh, footage of unidentified aerial phenomena uh, and uh, things like Project Blue Book and uh, ATIP and all of these various things. In your former position and currently with the current information that's released, what's your viewpoint on what these objects uh, that seem to defy all laws of physics are? Well, first of all, that's a, that's a legitimate question now. And the short answer, but not the most meaningful one, is I don't know about this. But when I was president and I had a chief of staff, John Fidesza, who loved science fiction, we made every attempt to find out everything about Roswell. <laughs> and, I, and we also sent people to Area 51 to make sure there were no aliens in a deep because Area 51 is very important. Send? Who do you send to Area 51? Oh, if I told you that. You know, let me say something here. Pause well, this real quick, man. Why are these people laughing? I and mean, as President Clinton pointed out, this is a legitimate question. The, the Pentagon, by their own admission, has seen 100 and, uh, in the neighborhood of 150 UAP sightings that they have no explanation for. And this guy, and, they, and I should have made clear they were taking questions from the audience. This guy is asking a very legitimate question. They just had hearings on UFOs for the first time in, uh, in, in, in 50 years, essentially. And this guy is asking a serious national security question, something that I'm interested in. And why are these people laughing? Those people that laugh, shame on them, number one. I, look, I know it's a comedy show and people want to have a good time and they want to laugh and it's fun. Uh, I get it. But by those people laughing at that guy's question and um, Bill Clinton's serious attempts to answer this. Now, he's getting a little silly, too, Bill Clinton. But, OK, I get it. It's a comedy show. They're essentially shaming any of these people, be they military or civilian, that see these objects. And you, we've heard time and again from pilots, from military personnel, how, and from civilians, how they feel essentially pressured not to come forward and be honest because they don't want to be laughed at. They don't want to look at, be looked at as a crackpot. Now, the bottom line is not, are there UFOs? Of course there are UFOs. The question is, what are they? Right? And that's a question that everybody should be asking. And it's those these people laughing in the peanut gallery there that really hinder the public discussion of this issue as a serious subject. Because that's really what we need to happen. We need the issue of what these objects are, because we know they're there. We need the issue of what these objects are to not be limited to late-night radio shows and uh, pulp novels and comic books and science fiction programming. We need this to be a mainstream issue that is debated seriously. 
in the halls of Congress that's addressed in Pentagon briefings. So I'm really disappointed in the people that laughed. But here's the rest of uh, President Clinton's response. Actually, I, I sent my uh, Sandy Berger, who passed away, sadly, a couple of years ago, who was my national security advisor. But I said, we got to find out how we're going to deal with this, because that's where we do a lot of our our invisibility research in terms of technology. Like, how do we fly airplanes that aren't picked up by radar and all that? So that's why they're so secretive. But there's no aliens, as I know. So he says uh, he sent Sandy Berger to go investigate what was happening at uh, Area 51. You might remember that uh, Sandy Berger got in trouble for trying to steal classified uh, information after he was no longer in office. I think he was pardoned for that. But um, so Sandy Berger, he's got some credibility problems as far as I'm concerned. But President Clinton said that he made every attempt to find out everything about Roswell and even sent people to Area 51 to, in his words, make sure there was no aliens. He said he sent um, Sandy Berger his former national security advisor, to Area 51 in Nevada. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories about what's at Area 51, about aliens. You know, I think when you go to, um, if you watch the movie Independence Day, in that picture, they actually depict aliens at Area 51. Bill Clinton says there's no aliens as far as he knows. He wanted to investigate what happened at Roswell. He sent people to look at what what was going on at Area 51. He says no aliens. My question, very simply, do you believe him? Do you think he's telling the truth? Yes, no, or maybe. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. He says the reason they're so secretive, and I'll, I'll, I'll believe this, is they do a lot of what he referred to as invisibility research, basically stealth aircraft and things of that nature in terms of technology, how we fly airplanes that aren't picked up by radar and all that. But he says, there's no aliens that I know of. Then they went on um, to talk about how he's discussed this issue with astronomers. And there's a big debate among scientists about whether or not there are extraterrestrial, whether there's extraterrestrial life out there. He he basically said that a lot of the astronomers that he and Hillary have spoken to think it's 95% likely that there are. He says the government doesn't know anything about what's going on with Roswell, and he says there's no aliens at Area 51. Question very simply for you is, you think he's telling the truth? 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 open lines. That are all yours. Now, this woman, I think, is a little wacky. Okay? I'm not going to say she's crazy, but she's making claims that sound a little outlandish. Mafe Walker is a 45-year-old woman, and she has now gone viral on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. Uh, you know, my friend Flipper is a TikTok star. The last thing I want to do is participate in one more social media entity. So she's making this claim in which she says she can now speak an alien language after a trip to the ancient Teo 
I, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this and display my ignorance. And uh, all of you people that th- say I'm not that bright, you're right, because I'm not completely sure how to pronounce this. I'm going to give it my best shot. A tr- after a trip to the ancient Teotihuacan pyramids just outside Mexico City. So she's a native of Colombia, and she's gone viral in a series of TikTok posts where she claimed that while at the pyramid site, Aliens contacted her and gifted her the ability to communicate with them. She currently has over 300,000 TikTok followers with over 1 million likes. Now, that's part of the reason why I'm not sure I believe this, because she could be doing this just to up her social media profile, get more followers, more followers, more likes, because there's so much pressure to get more followers and likes. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Follow me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash fan. So in her videos now, she's seen standing at various places chanting this special language with no explanation of why she's doing it. So in her bio, she claims to be a medium for the message these extraterrestrials are trying to spread. I think we have a little bit of this, her speaking this language in one of her TikTok videos. Let me hear this. Mis amores, desde la pirámide del sol siento la energía en mi corazón. And then yeah, yeah, he can send a mind a maquina, yaka, yeah, in a maquina, me expando, te amo, me amo, nahiana maka, he, yanamayana mala, yanamakanaka. So, obviously, I have no idea what she's saying, but uh, more than a few naysayers reacted with comments such as what people come up with in order to get famous and spewing nonsense. How is this solving anything in this world? LOL. So these doubters are convinced that uh, this woman, Ms. Walker, is the latest addition to the current trend of spiritual people claiming they can speak old biblical languages. So one month after launching her account, Walker was invited on a local talk show where she told the host that she had access to a galactic portal and began chanting just like on her TikToks on live TV. The station was convinced enough, apparently, to caption her segment, Maith Walker speaks to us in an alien language, totally live. But let me hear that one more time, if I can, uh, Matt. Tell me what you think of So what do you think? You think she's making it up? Or do you think she's crazy? Or do you think maybe she is being used as a message for um, communicating with aliens? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. One, two, three, four open lines. Uh, let me begin with John and Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, what's up? Thank you. Pleasure as always. Thank you. A um, couple things. Uh, first of all, um I love you, Frank, but I don't think you have the punum for a late, late show. Really? <laughs> you don't think so? No, I'm kidding. I'm not offended. I could take it. No, nah, I'd love to see you on there. But um, second of all, uh, I that woman is definitely faking it. Her words have, like, no legit roots to it. I think she speaks Spanish. And she just used M's and Y's, like, the whole time. It's gibberish. <laughs> Well, you might be right. Look, I, I have a tough time thinking that if aliens were going to use a human 
to be a vessel for communication, the aliens yeah, would. Why her? Yeah, well, well, I mean, who knows why her? But I, I have a tough time saying that the, the aliens would tell somebody go on TikTok and make these videos. I, I just I don't see that as being a big element in the extraterrestrial communication strategy. Yeah. Because I feel, you know, if the aliens wanted to give us a message, they would make sure that the message would be received. They would, you know, it's, there's no evidence of that. Yeah. I've, been, uh, I've actually, because you were talking about uh, some of this last week, too. I, I have a feeling if there were aliens, they're definitely, like, interdimensional. And we get glimpses of them, but we just don't have the ability to see in other dimensions. Maybe they're all around us and... Some people might, you know, they claim they're meeting or whatever, but maybe some people break that barrier and can see into, like, the fourth dimension or something like that. Uh, You might be right, uh, John. Uh, This is outside of um, my area of expertise. That is for sure. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to oh, I forgot to ask him his opinion of uh, what Bill Clinton was uh, was saying. Hey, by the way, speaking of me not knowing, not being an expert, you know who was kind enough to mention me the other day? when he was talking about the issue of China possibly picking up radio signals from these, um, you know, that could be extraterrestrial in nature. Bo Snerdly, James Golden, who you can hear every afternoon at 4 p.m., does a very popular show here at the radio station. My friend, Dr. Mason Pimler, said to me the next day, hey, by the way, you know who just mentioned you yesterday? Bo Snerdly, which was very nice. I, I, I had not been listening and uh, I went back and listened and heard him say this. One of these days, I need to have Frank Morano, if he's if he's up at this time of the day, uh, the other side of midnight with Frank. I need to to talk with him about what's going on with the UFO stuff because there's some interesting stuff going on with that. Our government now seems to be slowly admitting that there have been legitimate UFO cases that they've known about but have not publicly admitted that they've known about. And just the, 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 just the other day, the Chinese government had also something to say about UFOs. So I'm going to catch up one of these days with Frank Morano, if I can, or else try to find some other expert on this that can tell us what's going on here. So, I, first of all, I'd be happy to come on his show anytime, but I do... I'm not sure what I could really add. As I've said many times when discussing the subject, I'm really not an expert. I'm just, you know, I'm a guy with questions and I'm willing to ask the questions. So my fear would be, you know, he'd want me to come on and say and uh, talk all about aliens and what does the government know and what do we know and what's fact and what's speculation. And then I have no answers. I just have questions. So I'm not really sure what I could really add to the conversation. But, of course, I'd be happy to come on at any time. And uh, I've been meaning to invite him on this show, too. I do have to do that. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Igor is in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Hey there, Frank. You know, as it related to this uh, woman who said that she picked up this alien language, when I heard it, heard that audio, I heard some Spanish in there, of course. You know, language didn't seem to make sense. But I think it'd be nice to put her to the test of translating something and seeing if she can pull it off two or three times or 
you know, a couple days in a row, the same translation. Well, that she's really just talking gibberish. Th- that's interesting. I don't know if this lady speaks English. If she speaks English, I'm going to try and get her on the radio, and then I'd love to do the kind of test that you're talking about. That's a great idea. I'm going to find out and uh, find out if she does in fact speak English, and if she speaks well enough, we'll invite her on the show to talk about this. Lopez is in the South Bronx. Hello, Lopez. Hey, my brother, Mr. Morano. It's an honor to speak with you. Uh, you're most graceful, and, and um, I want to thank you for always giving the, the people who, who called to speak with you time to, to get there. Well, I'm sorry, yeah, Lopez, but we're across. out of time. I'm joking. Hello? Yeah, I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> you got me. That, that was great. <laughs> you got a, uh, a comedic sense of um, uh, togetherness, too. I am also a comedian. Uh, I could tell. Um, you, you, you're, you're great. I'm a, a fan of uh, 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 Curtis, uh, and I'm strongly become a, becoming a greater fan of yours. I appreciate that you let the people really? speak and don't cut them off. Thank you. That's very nice of you. That's uh, that's very kind of you. And uh, um, you're great. Hearing you speak with 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 the people and, and letting them speak is like that's top of the line. That that shows grace, love, and honor. Oh. And I appreciate you on behalf of the militia, which you are a part of as well, right? You retire from the army, but you don't retire from the militia. The militia are all the human beings in the, in the, in the continental United States of America and our commonwealths that have to uh, pick up arms to defend ourselves against any foreign Attacks. Well, Lopez, thank you for your service to the country. Thank you for listening. And thank you most of all for making sure that the South Bronx is still wall to wall Frank Morano country. And uh, by the way, if you ever are performing somewhere, please let me know so I could catch one of your upcoming stand up performances. That's a show. That's a show I'd like to see. That's a show that would be something. Right. 800-848-WABC. Janet is in New Jersey. Hello, Janet. Yes. Um, you have to forgive me. I'm half asleep. Uh, I sat uh, at the pier at a dinner a few years, well, a long time ago, and uh, I asked the woman next to me where she was from. She said Roswell. I said, oh, what do you think about the alien? She said, I believe it. She said, I have a, a friend who I trust, and he was there, and he saw them. Oh, well, did she have any other information about uh, what the aliens looked like or anything like that? I was so stunned I didn't ask. Sure. But she she, she did say that there were artifacts and things that were very different from anything on this earth. Well, so let me ask you this, Janet, serious question. You know, I played you the audio of what President Clinton said. Do you think President Clinton is being dishonest or do you think he doesn't know? I think he was hedging. I, I, I think he might know, but he doesn't want to uh, commit to it. Okay. Okay. Well, Janet, uh, well, thank you for listening, even if you are half asleep. You sound great. I wish I sounded I, that I well. I listen to you as long as I can stay awake. Well, wonderful. We need you, we need you half asleep listening uh, the whole four hours. Thank you very much. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. The, uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Yesterday was the 30th anniversary of a very auspicious event in, in, in our city's history. I'll tell you what happened. 
straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is Galaxy by War, talking all about uh, issues of an intergalactic nature, but closer to Earth. Um, I don't know how much time Curtis spent on this yesterday. I mean, I I did hear, I I heard most of his Sunday night show, and then I heard a good portion of his Sunday morning show. I uh, I would have assumed, knowing Curtis, that he would have spent the whole four or five hours on this yesterday, but it didn't sound like that to me. Um, But knowing Curtis's memory, perhaps he forgot what the date was. You know, it's funny. You know who I thought of yesterday? Ron Kuby. Because Ron used to compare the way that Curtis would spread out all of his things to Israel. And, um, you know, they shared an office for a time when I was their producer. And Curtis basically took over the whole office with his stuff, with newspapers and cans and papers, and just all sorts of stuff. And then Ron would come in and say, where am I supposed to sit? Where am I supposed to work? Now, meanwhile, I think that was kind of the goal of what Curtis was trying to do. But he says, I come in here, and Curtis becomes effing Israel, spreading out all over the place. There's a settlement here, an outpost there, of putting all his stuff here. He he, he doesn't recognize any border. He just keeps encroaching. I thought that was very funny, because obviously Ron couldn't hate Israel and um, sided with the Palestinians and that whole thing. But I'm wor- I'm in Studio B, which is this, the studio that I prepare for the show in before I go on. And I'm in there with Dominic Carter. The whole studio is overrun with Curtis's stuff. And I, I turned to Dominic. I said, who else would do this? Who- what other human being would disrespect his coworkers like this and just leave this kind of a mess? And he- Dominic's shaking his head. He says... I've never seen anything like this. And Dominic is a tough guy to, you know, kind of per- get perturbed. He says, I've never seen anything like this. And he says, and it's everywhere. So any, any direction you look, there's Curtis notes. Any, it's like, um, it's almost, you, you ever watch the show Homeland? You remember this, one, of the, one of the seasons where Claire Danes' character is going crazy and she's got these, like, the walls covered with newspaper clippings and notes? That's almost what it's like being in a workspace that Curtis has been to. It looks like a mental patient has, has just gone nuts. Now, um, I will say, though, that 30 years ago yesterday was a pretty noteworthy event in the history of New York City. And, in fact, this is a news report, I believe, from Channel 4, NBC4, describing what happened 30 years ago yesterday. 
Well, the hunt is on tonight. Mayor Dinkins is pledging his help to find the gunman who ambushed and shot Curtis Sliwa. The Guardian Angels founder and leader is recovering from surgery at Bellevue Hospital tonight. And McGee Hickey is there now with a live report for us. McGee? Chuck, Curtis Sliwa is still in critical condition at this hour after undergoing more than six hours of surgery to remove five bullets. He's expected to recover fully from his injuries in a shooting that took place this morning at exactly the same place where he'd been attacked by three men with baseball bats two months earlier. To, to me, I don't know why I should, should do it to him, because he's a great man. Tonight, Guardian Angels patrolled the Tompkins Square Park area as they wondered who was gunning for their founder early this morning. It happened just after 5 a.m. near this newsstand at 7th Street and Avenue A. Curtis Lee told police he had just gotten into this cab to head to his morning radio show when he was shot five times in the thigh and lower abdomen by someone he said was crouching in the front seat. He jumped out the window to get away. He's got... He's got uh, scrapes and bruises on, on the side of his leg. Had this bullet gone, I would say, approximately one inch higher, he might have been paralyzed for life. They're out to get him. He was set up. This is not the first time he's been put upon. Uh, several weeks ago, he was attacked by fellows wielding bats. Later, police determined the cab had been stolen the day before. Police say Slee was two white assailants switched into a white town car a few blocks from the shooting. I admire Curtis Slewa and um, I think that he takes his life into his own hands doing what he does. So I just hope everything works out for him and uh, that the, his work continues because it's not an easy thing he does and the city needs more people involved and people doing things. And with me now is Lisa Slewa, who just within the half hour spoke to her husband. What is he telling you he heard them say before the shooting took place or as the shooting took place? All we know is they said son of a bitch right when they were shooting him and that was it. And then he was tr struggling with a guy in the front seat and went out the, jumped out the window of the passenger side wrestling with the shooter to get away from him. Did he get a good look at them? That we don't know yet. Does he have any theories? Do you have any theories who could do this? It could be anybody. There were, could be any number of enemies that we've made over the years in crime fighting, but we're not going to give up. Mm -hmm. But do you have any ideas? I mean, who, who do you think it might be? I don't have any particular idea. Right now, I'm just still concerned about his condition and hoping that he recovers. The guys are out on the streets looking for all the information that they can possibly get to turn over to the police. I hope we get these guys this time, and I hope the shooting stops in the city. Okay, and he's going to be in intensive care for the next two weeks, and then he's expected to be released from Bellevue. We do have a hotline number that's been set up by the police for any information. That number is 212-598-0071. Reporting live from Bellevue, McGee news for back to you chuck thanks mcgee now you might not believe this but uh, apparently mcgee hickey as i learned from alex barnard he volunteered this it, it was a friend of of his mom right that's your that's your situation yeah go, go ahead be heard this was another james corden like moment where where, where, where did you tell me about McGee Hickey? Well, first of all, I, I love just telling you things because yes. now no, I, it, I it's that. an opportunity yes. for me to get on the air. Yes, go but, ahead. Um, no, uh, McGee is a really close friend of my mom's. They went to high school together, and they've been I, friends for, I guess, over 40, 50 years now at this point. Uh, they When I was a really, really little kid, uh, they used to play duets together a lot because my mom plays piano and violin and McGee plays the flute and she she plays it fairly well uh and the two of them together it was uh um you know I would just see them playing almost every night when I was a little kid and it sounded really good that is some story as you can hear people reacting oh I'm so glad this is that's yeah. a story that is almost too fantastic to be believed uh well thank you I, I appreciate that uh, Alex Barnard doing well, I'm glad a great you enjoyed job. it thank you yes no I, I mean I I I had such doubts about the credibility of that of that story but I was glad that Alex volunteered it 
Why is it that whenever you mention his name now, he feels the need to No, sit it's down? okay. It's, we, we have a, a convivial environment okay. here. That's fine. But anyway, um, back to Curtis's shooting. Uh, I'll tell you, I really, as much as I tease Curtis, I have, uh, one, I'm glad that he didn't die. But um, I, it's really, I have studied Curtis's shooting more closely than anybody, including Curtis. Well, I remember there would be times, you know, Curtis is not known for his memory. Some things he remembers well and some things not so well. And there was times when, when Curtis was, when I was Curtis's producer, he would tap his headphones and that would mean he needed a name or a fact. And that was my cue to get into his ear and tell him whatever, whatever he wanted. And I remember one day he said, um, you know, when I was shot by and he was trying to remember the shooter's name. And I had to get in his ear and I'll say, Mike Yanati. And I, I'm thinking, how do you not remember the name of the guy that shot you? But anyway, so I have studied Curtis's shooting very closely. And I have to tell you, for anybody that might, you know, get on Curtis, Curtis's, um, the fact that he survived that is a, a miracle. And I have heard the testimony from the driver of that taxi cab, uh, Joey D'Angelo, four times. And it's really, if his version is to be believed, it's an incredible story, an absolutely incredible story. And as as Judge Shira Shendlin, the judge that sentenced Michael Yanati to um, 20 years in prison, as she said, the only reason Curtis was able to survive that is essentially because of what she described as superhuman acts of, of uh, superhuman abilities and what he did. He understand what he did. He was shot, and there the front. He was shot in the back seat, and there were the handles. There were no handles. You couldn't exit the taxi cab, and he, you like a trampoline, catapulted himself while bleeding from the abdomen. Catapulted himself from the back of the taxi cab to the front and trying to go for that window so he could take his chances on the, on the um, street. Meaning he was trying to jump out of a moving car that was going very fast um, as the better alternative than staying in that cab and being shot. Now imagine having your wits about you so much after you're shot to think, you know, my only shot here is to jump outside of this speeding taxi cab. Really impressive that he had that degree of wherewithal. You know, it's funny. By the way, if you have questions about the shooting or comments, um, you can call in 800-848-WABC. I'll tell you, I was pretty good friends with Bob Grant towards the end of his life. Bob never believed the story of Curtis's shooting. He thought that this was an event, you know, because Curtis has admitted staging certain events for publicity, including his own kidnapping. Bob always was skeptical of Curtis's version of events. But if you believe Joey D'Angelo, who was purportedly the driver of this taxi cab, they had staked out Curtis's apartment for weeks. They would memorize his movements, and they knew his whole routine. They knew what time Curtis left his apartment, where he would go for coffee and a newspaper, that he would hail a cab, they knew what street he would hail a cab in, and they knew exactly what time it would happen. So it's funny, they're in front of Curtis's building, and then what happens? 
a police officer comes, imagine that, says, you can't park here. This is no standing. And then the Joey D'Angelo, the driver, says, no, 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 it's only, I'm only here for a minute. Cop says, nope, sorry, you got to go. So D'Angelo starts circling the block, circling and circling, comes back 15 minutes later, again, in front of Curtis's apartment. What then happens? Now, keep in mind, they had this taxi cab jury rigged so that you couldn't exit from the back seat. You could enter, but there were no handles in the inside of the cab, none. So <clears throat> you, what happens when they get back in front of Curtis's apartment? Two couples try and get into the taxi cab. They open the back door, and uh, Joey D'Angelo, the driver, says, no, I'm sorry, I'm off duty. And she, they're saying, no, we're not going far. It's just a little up, up over yonder. Said, sorry, off duty. And then, believe it or not, see, the car is running this whole time. They're just about out of gasoline. So they leave and go get gasoline and come back. Now it is about 20, 30 minutes after the time Curtis normally leaves for work. And according to Joey D'Angelo, they figured, he and Yanadi, who was the shooter, they figured they missed him and uh, they missed their opportunity. They're going to have to try this another day. And you, they were, they were leaving. They were driving away. And then, according to D'Angelo, and this sounds almost too fantastic to believe, Curtis just jumps into the back seat of the cab. They didn't hail him. They didn't say, hey, Curtis, we know where you're going. According to Joey, and Curtis's testimony differed from this a little bit, but according to Joey, Curtis just got into the back of the cab. And then within a minute of, um, you know, the, you know, go, being in this cab, they started going the wrong way. And Curtis told them, hey, you're going the wrong way. Then, as soon as that happens, Michael Yanati pops up from the front passenger side, uh, you know, of the front seat passenger side, and trains a gun on Curtis. And he says, give me your wallet. That's according to D'Angelo. Curtis didn't remember that. But, you know, it's 30 years. Different people have different recollections. Now, what would you do if somebody's pointing a gun at you? I'll tell you what I'd do. I would do whatever the gunman said. Right? Now, Curtis being Curtis, according to D'Angelo, starts, and this is where, like, Curtis, for all people's criticisms of him, you, the guy is not lacking in courage. While the gun is pointing at Curtis, Curtis takes his newspaper and his guardian angel walkie-talkie, basically like a Nextel. He takes his newspaper and his walkie-talkie, and he starts slapping at the gun. So what does Yanadi do? He pulls the trigger. And Curtis keeps slapping at the gun, pulls the trigger. And Curtis... And again, this is really, I'm in awe that he was able to demonstrate this degree of quick thinking while being shot. He's radioing his location to um, all the guardian angels. He's giving his location on the radio while being shot and wrestling with the gunman. And so D'Angelo, every single time that Curtis radios his location, he makes a turn to go in another direction. And then 
D'Angelo looks over to the front passenger seat and he sees Curtis is half in the cab. His upper body is out of the cab and his legs are in the cab. And D'Angelo tells Yanati, throw him out the effing window. And according to D'Angelo, he doesn't know whether Yanati threw him out or whether Curtis fell out, but he ends up on the ground. And they drive away. Curtis, lying there, almost dead, bleeding in the street, who finds him? The first person to find Curtis, if memory serves, it's been a while since I reviewed this testimony, was, and this is, again, out of a movie. They made one movie about this that was just terrible. It was not only historically inaccurate, it was just not entertaining. But this is out of a movie. The person, the first person to find Curtis in the street after being shot was the program director of a radio station. Can you believe that? The program director of, I believe it was WFMU, which is sort of a free-form radio station, that was the first person to find Curtis in the street. And he was very lucky to survive that. As you heard in that uh, audio clip there, of uh, you heard Mayor Dinkins, you heard Lisa Sliwa, you heard a lot of just passers-by on the street. It's really an Im- incredible thing. And a lot of people say, oh, how can you be friends with John Gotti, who allegedly ordered this shooting? Um, but By the way, that's not what it's alleged. John Gotti uh, Jr. allegedly ordered Curtis to be kidnapped and assaulted, and things went awry, you know, because Curtis started smacking at this gun. But the people that you should really be irked at if you think John Gotti Jr. was responsible for Curtis's assault, what is the federal government and the prosecutors? Because had they brought a case against John Gotti Jr. when they had information about this case, had they indicted John Gotti Jr. for Curtis's shooting in, say, 19, in the year 2000 instead of 2004, then John Gotti Jr. would not have been able to use the defense that he did in that first trial of withdrawal. But John Gotti Jr. was already in prison because he'd pled guilty in the scores case. And the government was so piggish and so greedy, they wanted to squeeze out every second of prison time before reindicting Gotti on Curtis's shooting. Had they indicted Gotti when they first learned about this through Mikey Scars de Leonardo, you might have seen Gotti get convicted for that. So if you believe John Gotti Jr. is responsible for Curtis's shooting, and I have my doubts about that, But if you believe that, then the people that you should be most irked with are the U.S. attorneys in the Southern District of New York and all the federal authorities. So um, that's it. That's the incredible true story of Curtis's shooting. And uh, as as annoying as Curtis can be, I'm certainly glad he's alive. If you have questions about the shooting, uh, I can answer your questions from a much more objective place than Curtis can. Obviously, Curtis is very very opinionated about this because he was the one shot. But I have studied this, observed this, talked to a lot of the people involved, sat through four trials on this, read every book on this, seen every film, uh, seen every news report. So if you have questions, you can ask them. 800-848-9222. And Curtis this weekend spent the entirety of his overnight show not talking about the 30th anniversary of his shooting, but instead talking about his favorite subject, me. The hillbilly horse came out of nowhere, what, 80 to 1 to win? 
That's pretty much what Frank Morano has done. How the hell does he anoint himself the ratings champion of WABC? I have not seen any of the analytics, the documentary evidence. Now, I'm not anointing myself. And because Curtis hasn't seen it, what does that mean? Does that mean it's not true? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so he uh, carries on with my ratings supremacy. The fact that he keeps taunting me and claiming that his ratings are better with this newest rating book for all of the month of May, when I have not even been allowed to scrutinize any of the numbers because I've been able to break them down over the years, but they haven't even been provided to me. He's already taking claim to being the number one talk show host here in terms of ratings. And I challenge him to produce them. I challenge him. First of all, I mean, Curtis is, I think, asleep in the next studio. If he really wanted to see my overnight ratings, I'm happy to show them to him. There's no secrets here. All right. Um, Now, he didn't just pick on me this weekend, but he had some choice words for, and by the way, people should understand this is all in fun. Uh, I'm not bothered by anything Curtis says, and I appreciate the fact that he promotes his show so much. Uh, he, He was taking aim at both Alex Barnard and our very own Matt Blaze. Number four, number four here. Uh, having a few problems here. Hopefully, Avery, you straightened it out on the cut sheet and it hasn't been sabotaged by Matt or Alex or any of his crew. Blaming Matt Blaze for sabotage. Very interesting. And he had some other words for our illustrious staff here. And now all I have is two. Frank has six people helping him at night, kissing his tuchus, running around, getting him whatever he needs, fluffing <laughs> up the my pillow. <laughs> Okay, boss. Okay, boss. I mean, real brown noses. Real brown noses. Uh, we don't have that. First of all, we, we have three people here, and one of them is Alex Barnard, who's just waiting for every opportunity to pontificate about uh, his, offering his unsolicited opinions about James Corden and McGee Hickey. So count that for what it's worth. 800-848-WABC. And then this call I heard as I was driving in, uh, to work Sunday night. And this lady, Rosemary, I've heard her before. I think she's called me and I've heard her on other shows. I don't think she's the biggest fan of mine. I I, I seem to remember her being critical of me, but I think she kind of nailed what she said. Listen to what she says towards the end of her call here. Anyway, let's go to Rosemary in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rosemary. Uh-huh. I just wanted to say that Juneteenth, I believe, is supposed to commemorate the uh, the day uh, back in 1619 when the first shipload of slaves were, were landing in the uh, New World, so to speak. Is that uh, is that what you think uh, or what you know about it? Uh, Rosemary, I think you've been reading the New York Times. Project no, sixteen nineteen. No, I no, know. no, no, don't, don't, do, do not tell me I read the New York Times. Well, that's, that's a piece th- of crap. I wouldn't even uh, use that if, at the bottom Rosemary, of a bird. Rosemary, that's where the whole Project sixteen nineteen came from, claiming that the only reason that uh, that America was colonized was for slavery, even though we know that was not the case. Correct, Rosemary. 
Well, I I didn't say what you just said. You're putting words in my mouth. Oh, you're I getting you're getting you very contentious, said. Rosemary. No, I, I well, it had well, nothing to do with sixteen, nineteen. People. And by the way, I don't like the way you attack uh, Frank Morano. That's right. Oh. Very small. Oh. It makes you seem like a very small and jealous person. Oh, so you defend Frank Morano, huh? No, I'm attacking you. Oh, that's I, I kind of understood that. You know, uh, I've had wives uh, who weren't as bitter as you are towards me. Uh, I'm telling you, she, she hung up. Well, I will tell She's you. Sickle fan Tony and Lackey of Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. I knew I knew there was a hidden agenda. Oh, 1619. Well, you know, that's project to the New York Times. No, it's not. I hate the New York Times. <laughs> that's a typical Frank Morano listener. They can't even connect the dots. They won a Pulitzer Prize for that. They didn't deserve it. And Curtis does what he always does, and he continues with his ad hominem attack on poor Rosemary. When is that Mama Lou coming in here? I want to see if he knows that woman there. Oh, she was like, my God. That's why he's a Mama Lou. He needs women to defend him, Frank Morano. He hides behind their, um, what can we call it, their, their aprons. There you have it. 800-848-WABC. We'll continue with your call straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Sometimes it's hard to be a woman. Given all your love to just one man, you have bad times and you have good times. A lot of people think this is Tammy Wynette. This is actually Rosemary in Long Island singing about me. It's true. 800-848-WABC. we got commendations coming up in mere four minutes. And at 4.30, you'll meet a police officer whose husband is in prison for murder. She believes he got a raw deal. We'll explore it. Uh, let me say hello to Jean in New Rochelle. Hello, Jean. Yes, hello. Hello, Frankie. Hi. How are you? Great. Hi. Thank you. Thank How are you? you. I will. I wanted to make a comment. I listened to the whole show of um, Curtis yesterday for many hours. My sympathies. Well, no, I don't kind of feel the same way as you. Um, (laughs) You know, I admire both of you. Um, Well, I I know what you're saying, but I admire both of you. But a lot of some of the story of what you're saying differs from what he says, you know. And... um, as far as how, you know, he was shot and things like that. And anyway, what I wanted to say is most of the things he does say about you are in a joking manner. And I don't know, I have a lot of respect for him because of all the things he has done, uh, you know, with the guardian angels and all that. A lot of people could never do what he did. And I, and I have respect for him for the fact that he was able to get out of that car, which... Oh, absolutely. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. 100%. What I was just going to say was, and he he stated in his show that he was 
followed for a few days, and they knew he took a cab in the morning and all that. And his wife might have gotten into the cab with him, but she was busy putting makeup on. And then he went to work, and they had taken the cab to a chop shop and had the door handles removed and all that. And the guy was down in the front seat with the air conditioning on, so they left the window on, which is what saved his life. And he, I don't know, I just, I think I have a lot of respect for him that he was able to live is a miracle. And yeah, I know no, you think well, no, well, I mean, uh, Gene, I'm not sure what you just said that differs from what I said. Um, well, some of it on the, uh, on, I guess on the details, he didn't say that he was, well, I don't know, some things regarding what, when he was in trouble, he got to this, his microphone or whatever, that walkie-talkie thing, to... Uh, to let the guardian angel, and he said there was one guardian angel at the death, some Chinese man or something, who wasn't supposed to be yeah, there. Right, and that's- uh, Keiji Oda, I believe it was, uh, who was Japanese. Uh, Gene, thank you. Uh, those of you that are holding, we will take your calls in a minute, and then we have commendations coming up. A lot of people need a commendation. You want to jump on board, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. In the meantime, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're going to do commendations in just a minute or two. No guests this hour, so I'll have some time to go through my list of commendations. Uh, but um, one of the people that was on my list of commendations today was Curtis Lewa, because yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Curtis uh, being shot and nearly dying. He could have very easily died, and uh, Curtis is a close friend, and he's somebody that's helped me a great deal in the radio business And uh, I'm certainly glad that he didn't die. So we're doing a little bit of a look back down memory lane. Uh, A lot of people don't remember the details of what happened with Curtis's shooting. A lot of people don't necessarily understand some of the details. So I'm giving basically my recollection and analysis of what has happened after sitting through four trials in which Joey D'Angelo who has admitted to being the driver of this cab, testified about what happened. And Michael DiLeonardo, who supposedly was one of the masterminds of this this plot in which he also testified. So um, if people have questions about it, I'll answer them. I got a couple of email questions here. I'm going to try and go through these quickly. It's a complicated case, so I'm not going to go through all of these in a lot of detail, but I'll answer them quickly as uh, as best as I can. Uh, does Curtis, this is a question via email, does Curtis still have medical problems from injuries from the shooting? Answer is yes. Uh, there are still bullet fragments um, inside of Curtis's stomach. And uh, because of the the injuries he sustained to his stomach and the surgery that was done on his insides, he developed uh, Crohn's disease now, he, or a condition very similar to Crohn's disease. So, yes. He still does have uh, medical problems and uh, injuries from his shooting. And when he had prostate cancer surgery, the fact that his prior surgeries made that a much more complicated surgery than it would have been. Uh, why did the abductors slash 
uh, shooters want to attack him. Well, this is where who knows what the truth is. But if you believe Michael DeLeonardo and Joey D'Angelo, they were very frustrated at what Curtis was saying on radio and on TV about um, John Gotti Sr. and about, um, you know, Gene Gotti, John's brother, and about uh, Victoria Gotti and basically the whole Gotti family. And according to Joey D'Angelo, you know, according to D'Angelo, John Gotti Jr. told him, uh, we want, we want, they wanted to give him a hospital beating. They wanted to take him somewhere and beat him so that he needed a, needed to be taken away in an ambulance. He was never supposed to be shot. And Jody, Joey D'Angelo said to John, allegedly, Joey D'Angelo said to John, um, well, you know, what? Um, why don't we just shoot him in the kneecaps or something? Send him a message, shoot him in the kneecaps. And John said to him, allegedly, uh, no, we, he's been very personal with us, and we're going to be personal with him. We want him to know that we can get our hands on him anytime we want. And they were supposed to send him a message. So he was never supposed to be shot, certainly not in a taxi cab. But um, when, there were two things that happened. Because Curtis got into the taxi cab unexpectedly, they were supposed to pick up another person that was going to restrain Curtis in the back seat up the block. And so according to D'Angelo, the driver, he said that guy could have, he could have been there and I didn't see him, or he might not have been there, but I didn't see him. And uh, Curtis surprised him by getting in the cab, so they just drove. And then when Yanadi trained the gun on him, I think Yanadi was sort of assuming that Curtis would just sit there, which is what I would do. But they didn't count on Curtis slapping at the gun with his guardian angel walkie-talkie and newspaper. So um, that's apparently why John wanted him assaulted, because of the things that he was saying both on radio. And there were two TV appearances that uh, that he had made, one on the uh, Jackie Mason show and one on the Richard Bay show, in which he was really over the top. Um why do you have doubts that Gotti may not have ordered the attack? Um, well, because it really doesn't make sense, right? It, it was so out of character for the kind of thing that the mob does in general and that the the Gambino crime family did in general. There were a lot of media commentators that were very critical of John Gotti. I mean, no one else got assaulted. So to think that they would just pick out Curtis it's it's a little bit of a stretch, especially, you know, so it, but whatever, I'm not going to get um, get there. Uh, how could you have invited Gotti to your wedding if you think Gotti could well have been convicted of the Curtis attack if the feds had brought the case earlier? Well, number one, because it's not for me to judge who is guilty or innocent. We have a system of laws. And as far as I'm concerned, John, the time that he did in prison, has paid for all of his crimes and then some. And the fact that the government then tried to put him on trial four times um, and was not able to get a single conviction, I think, you know, if the government couldn't convict him with a limitless budget in four separate trials, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to cast judgment? No. And then why was it a federal case rather than a New York criminal case? Well, that's another thing. You know, the police department did nothing on this for a long time. 
And uh, the reason it was a federal case is because the statute of limitations on assault and kidnapping would have would have expired by 2004. And because this attack happened in 1992. So there was no at the time the statute of limitations would have lapsed. So they had to bring it as a racketeering act. So it's very complicated, but they brought it as a uh, an, an act in aid of racketeering. So that was that. 800-848-WABC, one, two, three, four, five open lines, and then um, we'll do commendations. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah, Frankie, how you doing? Good. Yeah, so um, Saturday night, there was three things I wanted to tell you. He was talking about you. One of them is that you're, you're going to go on CNN. You might take over Anderson Cooper. Curtis says that. And yeah, the that's next thing is true. that he mentioned that, and then he mentioned that you were he's busy with the old spice and deodorant. And the third thing is that your name is Marano because you came from, you come from a Jewish heritage from Spain. And he said that um, Christopher Columbus was Jewish also, which I, I thought about it also. I, I and he was also Marano. So the whole the whole subject Saturday night it was all about you. Like yeah, no, I, I heard a good portion of it. I had friends over uh, for a fire pit, and uh, we were listening to Curtis when he started around midnight. And uh, yeah, yeah. it was very entertaining, I must say. Very entertaining. Thank yes. you, Simon. 800-848-WABC. Mike has been patiently holding. Mike in Hudson County. Hello, Mike. Mike, how are you? Yeah. What's on your mind, Mike? Well, I called about the uh, the person that was uh, speaking in that strange language. Yeah, what's your take on and, that? Yeah, I, I believe that it uh, very well could be because uh, – the aliens, uh, they're not really space aliens, but they pretend they are. They're, they're really uh, demons of fallen angels. That's what I believe. Uh, Jay Allen Hynek of Blue Book and uh, Jacques Vallée and several other of the best researchers all came to the final conclusion that they're from Earth. Really? They are a mystery, but they're from Earth. Uh, well, you know, that that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Uh, finally, Ina is in Manhattan. Hello, Ina. Hello, Frank. How are you? Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Yes. But, you know, with, with, without you and Curtis, um, the radio station is, is, is not funny. So don't mind Curtis. Curtis loves you. You love Curtis. You are two Italians, and you understand each other. I think Curtis don't mean anything. And um, um, I'm glad you you talk about is the shooting because I I couldn't remember the details of everything. I saw it on TV, but it's it's a blessing that he, he, he you know he didn't get he, he survived survived it and so he's a strong person and I love Curtis yes. Absolutely. Uh, well, well said, Ina. And Thank he you. Loves you. And he loves Carmile. He talks about <laughs> and your wife, Rachel. <laughs> you're, you're very kind. Thank it's like you, Ina. Family. Appreciate yes. it. Thank you very much. Without further ado, it is time for me to give a pat on the back to the people, places, entities, etc., that deserve a pat on the back. Those include. The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Let me begin uh, by commending uh, everybody that played in the charity softball game that we put together on Saturday. 
Uh, we had uh, we had a good game. It was a competitive game. It was a lot of fun. Perfect weather. I also want to thank the three gentlemen that were kind enough to umpire: Judge Brendan Lantry, uh, Nick Barbaro, third base umpire, and uh, Coach, who was the first base umpire. If you want to see, uh, we took a couple of pictures, only a couple, because we were busy playing. We didn't have a lot of players, so we, everyone was doing double duty. If you want to see the photos, uh, you can go to Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. I posted some of the photos over there. And I also want to thank everybody that donated to the charity that we're supporting, uh, EB, for EB Research. Our family has a very close um, family friend whose son uh, suffers from this. And it's just, it really breaks your heart seeing what he goes through and seeing what his, what's become of his skin. And so my brother and sister are running the New York City Marathon to raise some money for EB Research. So if you go to my Facebook page... In addition to seeing the softball photos, I have a link, and you can make a contribution to their their efforts. And you can also see a uh, photo of this very brave boy, John Hudson Dilgen. And um, you can see how EB has just wreaked havoc on his skin. And it's very evident, even when he's wearing clothes, w- what this has done to his skin. And you can imagine the pain that he's in pretty much all the time. And... Uh, a lot of folks believe that with more funding and more research, EB is something that really can be cured in our lifetime. So if you want to see the softball photos, uh, including of the umpires, or if you want to make a contribution, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. Speaking of um, Facebook, a fellow that is a Facebook follower of mine is also the recipient of a commendation. That is Kevin Peterson. Kevin Peterson is from New York, but he lives in... Russia lives in Moscow and he had to come back in I think he teaches out there he had to come back to New York to do something with his passport or something so he went and got an absentee ballot while he was here who does he deal with at the board of elections my mother who works at the absentee at the uh, board of elections so he said he recognizes the last name asks her if she's related she says yes that uh, she's my mother And he brings her, when he goes to return his absentee ballot, brings her a Cohiba cigar to give me. It was a little dry, so I'm going to put it in my humidor and let it moisten a little bit. But it's a really nice-looking cigar. I can't wait to smoke it. And uh, so I want to thank you, Kevin Peterson, and give you a sincere commendation. I want to commend all of the recipients of the Esquire magazine 25 best bars in America. I am they rank all these bars all over the country and I am sorry to say that I have not been to any of them, but I am I'm telling you I am going to make it my business to visit all of the ones in the New York area. So I want to commend every bar that made the list, but especially the ones in the New York area. Uh, I'll mention a couple of them in the New York area in case you want to go. The Sunken Harbor Club in Brooklyn. Um, I've not been to it, but it looks like a great place. Borough 6 Wine Bar in Hastings on the Hudson, New York. Uh, then you have, and, and again, there's great, all these places. I'd love to visit all 25 of these. This must have been a fun project for the editors. Uh, quite a few in New Orleans as well. Uh, Shea Zoo or Shea Zhao in New York. The Nines in New York. 
Overstory in New York. Those are the ones in the New York area. I have not been uh, to any of them, but I can tell you, I will be visiting all of them. I want to commend these churchgoers in Florida who helped save two young girls from being abducted after one of the victims mouthed, help me, this is not my dad. So these two girls, both aged under 12, were leaving a restaurant outside Tampa last Sunday when 37-year-old David Daniels approached them and said he'd supervise their walk home. Daniels allegedly started hitting one of the girls over the head multiple times and continued to follow them. The girls, who didn't know Daniels, then jumped on their bikes and rode towards a nearby church to ask for help. So at one point, he allegedly put one of these girls in a headlock, and uh, according to what one of these churchgoers said, one of the little girls was mouthing to me, please help me, this is not my dad. That's a woman who was inside the church but didn't want to be named, uh, told the media. He was kind of talking over her, right behind her, putting his arm around her neck and saying something in her ear, saying, we just moved here, we just want to see how we can help do whatever you're doing. And the churchgoers managed to keep engaging with this monster, Daniels, until they were able to call 911. So they arrested this guy, and he's been charged with uh, child abuse and force and false imprisonment. So, um, I, again, brave little girls, and I'm glad that uh, the churchgoers kept their wits about her. I want to commend the newest married couple in my life, James and Mia in Corvaya. James in Corvaya is uh, one of our top sales managers here. I think he's, I don't know what his title is. It might be digital sales director or general sales manager. or I, I, He's had a couple of different titles since I've been here. But he's a great guy, always very supportive of this show, a great sales guy, and just kind of a cool dude in general. And he, mar- he got married at Casa Belvedere in Staten Island, which is a wonderful place, which I might have even become a member of. He married Mia, the former Mia Raftery, who used to work here. And she has moved on to other things, but uh, they were able to get married. I know them both. They're a great couple. I'm happy to give them a commendation. And uh, God bless them both and wish them many, many years of happiness. I want to commend Paige Spiranak. She has been named. She's a former professional golfer. And she has been named... Maxim Magazine's Sexiest Woman in the World for the Year 2022. Now, that's an accomplishment worthy of a commendation in and of itself. To be named the sexiest woman in the whole world, that's pretty impressive. Do you know how many women are in the world? Probably billions. Probably close to as many men as there are, as there are women. And I love not only that she, and she is obviously a beautiful woman, But I love not only that she was named the sexiest woman in the world, but I love how she's handling this title. So she celebrated this new distinction by shutting down a social media troll with an awesome comeback that shows she's not only very attractive, she has a great sense of humor, which is my thing. So she's got an Instagram following of 3.4 million people and counting, and she posts content of herself playing golf courses in short skirts and tight tops and so after an article that talked up her looks along with her golfing prowess she gained a hundred thousand followers overnight 
She's been overwhelmed with endorsement officers from golf and fashion labels. So a lot of people were congratulating her on this award and stuff. So then one Twitter user believed she wasn't pretty enough to be in contention to be the sexiest woman in the world. So this is what this Twitter user says. Paige Spiranak has a horse head. Honestly, dude has a long face. By the way, why do people have to be so mean? I just, I don't understand why folks assume just because someone's a celebrity that, that you're automatically entitled to berate them. So... Um, she was also verbally insulted by a Karen for wearing um, an inappropriate outfit at a golf course. But this is what she did to the guy that said she has a horse face. She replies with a photo from her Maxim shoot with a horse head photoshopped in place of her own head and the caption Seabiscuit Spiranak. Uh So I think that is pretty clever. So that's funny. Um, And so then another lady was berating her for wearing an inappropriate outfit at a golf course and cried all the way home. That's the insulting person's vernacular. And she responds, I'm not like I want to be on a golf course so I can take, I, I can shake my blank and have my behind flying everywhere that's not what i'm talking about no one there had any issue with what i was wearing so i'm glad that she takes issue with these uh, takes these social media trolls head on i have two or three social media trolls that have multiple different identities and if you're in the facebook group you know them i'm not gonna make their day by mentioning any of their fake names but chances are you you know who they are if you've interacted with them but I, i give this woman a lot of credit Uh, She strikes me as someone with a great deal of poise and a great deal of grace. I want to commend Eric Fila. Eric Fila is a uh, catcher for, you know, a college college baseball team, I believe. College or high school, right? But, um, and, yeah, no, it's, uh, there's this video that has gone viral of a 10th inning walk-off single in the Virginia State quarterfinal uh, baseball game. And this is really interesting because the video's gone viral not for the... He's a high schooler, not a college student. Not for this hit that won the game, but for what the catcher did, Eric Fila. After the ball left the batter's bat and landed safely in right field. The catcher, Eric Fila, removed his catcher's mask, turned towards the home plate umpire, and extended his hand. So the umpire um, watched to make sure the runner from third base touched home plate before reciprocating the gesture, shaking hands with Fila as these players celebrated a 7-6 triumph. So this video was recorded and posted on Twitter, and this is great. And Fila, to his credit, he's a senior in high school. He doesn't understand what all the fuss is about. It's nuts. It's something so simple. It's the standard in my eyes, and it's gone everywhere. 
So Eric Fila said he was scrolling through TikTok last week when he saw this video, which had been shared by someone else with the caption, catchers do this and the thumbs up emoji. And about 15 minutes later, his mom came into his room and told him the video was all over Twitter. So all he did was shake hands with the umpire. And this simple act of sportsmanship has gone viral. And I think that's great. I think, um, you know, you hear so many stories of athletes, both youth athletes and professional athletes, behaving poorly. You hear stories of parents of youth athletes behaving poorly. This is exactly the kind of thing that I think should go viral. People being polite to one another. People having sportsmanship. People shaking the umpire's hand at the end of a ball game, even when their team loses. I think that's wonderful. Um, I want to commend, speaking of athletes, NBA star Ennis Cantor. Uh, this is a really interesting guy. Uh, they, they call uh, Ennis Cantor freedom. Now, Ennis Cantor freedom is a Muslim. And he has used repeatedly his platform as an NBA star to speak out against Erdogan, who is the essentially the dictator in Turkey. And that led to the Turkish government issuing a warrant for his arrest about five years ago. Well, now Ennis Cantor Freedom is using his platform to educate Muslims about the Holocaust at the Brooklyn Amity School, which is a majority Muslim private school in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. High school students are taking part in a new Holocaust education initiative where Cantor Freedom, who grew up in Turkey and is a Muslim and has played for five different NBA teams over the course of the last 10 years, he has become, he's the, essentially the ambassador. And I think this is great. This is a Holocaust education program that is being underwritten by the Blue Card, a nonprofit that assists Holocaust survivors. And the curriculum is all about educating people about the Holocaust. And Cantor Freedom is speaking out all about this and using his visibility as a prominent Muslim athlete to speak about this and to participate in this program. And uh, I think this is wonderful. So I think this is great. And if you listen to this interview that he did with New York Jewish Week, he talks about the importance of bringing Holocaust education to this school and to young people in general. He talks about how when he was eight or nine years old, he went downstairs to play with his friends and they were burning Israeli flags. They told me Israel is bad, Israel is evil, Jewish people are horrible, we should burn their flags, we don't respect them. And I remember I got so scared, I ran upstairs to my mom, uh, and I was like, Mom, all my friends are burning Israeli flags. They hate Jewish people. They told me that they're all evil. What should I do? My mom said, this is Cantor Freedom speaking, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but do not hate anyone before you meet them. I promised myself that day that I'm not going to hate anyone, any group, or any religion, or any culture before I meet with those people. And so now he's educating young Muslim students all about the Holocaust. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. Uh, As I mentioned, 
Yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Curtis's shooting, and I want to commend him not only for the superhuman heroics that he exercised that day, but the bravery that he engages in and the hard work that he engages in on uh, a daily basis. He is, uh, all kidding aside, an incredible human being uh, who I'm, I consider myself lucky to know and call a friend. Uh, yesterday, of course, was... Well, and today is the holiday. I, again, I don't, don't understand this Monday after the weekend stuff. Yesterday slash today is Juneteenth, our newest, our 12th and newest federal holiday. So I want to commend all the black people in our country. And hopefully uh, you are making the most of Juneteenth. I'm not sure re- what Juneteenth celebrations really consist of. I know as I was driving in last night, the Empire State Building was lit up in the colors of the pan-African flag, but uh, clearly the end of slavery in America is something that uh, all Americans, black, white, should be very proud of. Whatever you think about Juneteenth being a holiday, no reason we shouldn't um, do our best to commemorate the day, right? And speaking of days that should be commemorated, I want to commend everybody that uh, that is a father. Yesterday was Father's Day. I was very blessed to celebrate it as a father for the first time, and to be able to celebrate it uh, with my own father. I'm grateful that my father's still around, and uh, I've had the occasion to tell him what he's meant to me uh, over the years. And, you know, I know some people say Father's Day is a made-up holiday, a hallmark holiday. Maybe maybe there's some truth to that, but I think Father's Day is a great day. I think it's a great opportunity to give recognition to the people that shape who you are, maybe more than anybody else that you ever meet. Our lives really are shaped by our fathers. And uh, I want to give a commendation to everybody that's a father and that um, uh, that has played a role in the development of their their child's life. And especially people that are father figures to others. My friend Richard Bay, for instance, he essentially treats as his son the son of one of his ex-girlfriends. He broke up with the girlfriend many years ago, and he made a commitment to stay in this young man's life, and he has for many, many years. And I give him just a lot of credit for that because he takes this young man's stewardship very seriously. And uh, everybody that takes fatherhood seriously, I want to commend you. I want to commend all the good dads and all the bad dads because even without, without the bad dads, you still wouldn't be here, right? So... Even if you're the worst father in the world and you did nothing but participate in the procreation of another human life, in my view, that's a cause for a commendation. The great dads are a little too much. The great dads are always going on and on and on about their children. All right, we get it. Okay. People have been parents before. We get it. You can stop. All right. But um, so commendations to everybody. If you want to comment on uh, everybody that I commended or anybody that I commended, you can give us a call. 800-848-9222. Wide open phones. Uh, You can comment on any issue that we've covered today. That's 800-848-WABC. Coming up in an hour, by the way, we will uh, meet a police officer whose husband, who's also a cop, sitting in prison for murder. We'll tell you why. It's a fascinating case that I've been following, and I think you're going to be very moved. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. 
Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your blind tie affair. The last one to know, the last one to show, I was the last one you thought you'd see there. And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne. I toasted you, said, honey, we may be thrilled, but you'll never care me complain. Cause I got friends in all places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. Slip on down to the oasis So I've got a friend in love, they say You know, someone just sent me an SMS text message that for some reason, my uh, the photos that I tried to upload from the softball game are not there on my Facebook page. So I'm going to try this again. I don't know what the story is here, but um, sure enough, the, I don't see it, unless I'm missing something. But um, that is very, very strange. Uh, I can't figure that one out. All right, so I'm going to try and repost this along with the uh, the link to uh, say I'm, uh, w- with the link to um, the EB. So if you want to do that, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Yeah, I can't figure that out, why that didn't happen. Now I've uh, I've tried to re, re, repost. We'll see what happens. We'll see how that goes. All right. Hey, uh, I my wife and I finally got around to seeing a motion picture on, not in theaters, but uh, at home. Usually on Fridays, I go to uh, my friend Vinny's house. But I uh, I was a little late getting home on Friday, which means that basically my wife has to look after our son alone, and that's while she's working. So I figured, let me not be a total cad and say, oh, all right, honey, thanks for watching our son all day. Uh, I'm going out again. <laughs> so so I uh, we stayed in, and we got to bed early. We watched this film called The Hand of God. Very interesting. I still am trying to catch up on all the Oscar-nominated films from last year. And this is an Italian film. It's a drama. It's on Netflix. It's an Italian drama film with English subtitles. It was terrific. My wife thought it was a little sad. The story deals with a young man. It's a coming-of-age story. But it's really well done. The acting is terrific. It's Even though it's a drama, there are some very funny parts to it. My understanding is that it's uh, sort of a quasi-autobiographical story from the director, Paolo Sorrentino. I'll tell you, seeing the beautiful cinematography of Italy and the what I think was the Amalfi Coast and Capri... And some places that I saw in person when I visited Italy, it really made me nostalgic for Italy and want to go back to Italy. So it's beautifully shot. It's wonderfully acted. The story is not predictable. 
which is difficult to say for a lot of films these days. And even though it's a drama, there are still some very humorous parts to it. So we both enjoyed it very much. My wife thought it was sad, and she wasn't ready to go to bed uh, just seeing that. She thought it was too sad. She was crying towards the end of it. She thought it was too sad to go to bed on, so we had to watch a episode of Cheers in order to get her, you know, in a light mood, ready to go to bed. But it was really well done. I do recommend it. If, if you like Italian cinema, this is one of the better Italian films I've ever seen. If you like drama, even if you, you're not fond of foreign language films, I think it's certainly worth seeing. So uh, you could check out check it out. Again, as I said, it's on Netflix. The Hand of God is the name of it. And uh, it was really, I thought, phenomenal film. And th- there is a, some sexual content in there, nothing terribly graphic, but there is a little bit of nudity and some kind of sexual innuendo. So if, if you're the kind of person that's uh, bothered by that kind of thing, then maybe you won't like it. But I really thought it was uh, thought it was well done. Uh, as I mentioned, we had this softball game on uh, on Saturday, and you know I never understand people that that say they're going to play and then don't play. So there were two people, my friend Joe and our former producer Christian, who said they were going to play, and I've accounted for them, and then they didn't play. But we what we did was we had 14 players. So what we did was the we did a seven-on-seven, seven, and we had the team that was batting provide the pitcher and the catcher. So it's not ideal, but necessity is the mother of invention. We're going to work on uh, another game in the fall. You know, well, the problem is I tried to put this together too hastily. That That's exactly the, the problem. And we're going to do another game in the fall and try and get a like a 12-on-12. 12 12. I like a 12-on-12, 12 12, 10 players in the field, and then two EHs, basically, an extra hitter that just hits and doesn't play the, uh, doesn't play the field. That gives everybody enough time to, you know, to, to play, but you could still socialize a little bit. When you play the manner in which we did, a seven-on-seven, seven, you don't have a full field, so any ball that's hit to the outfield essentially becomes a, a, an extra base hit because there are not enough outfielders. But it was a nice, uh, beautiful day for the game, and again... My father, in spite of the fact that he was the oldest guy there, just a tremendous – he was not the best player, but he was close to it. Just a tremendous job. And I'm not even saying a tremendous job for his age. I played, my brother Alexander played, and my sister Claudia played. Our father, who is substantially older than all of us, put us all to shame. Did much better job than we did. But um, there's this one guy, Rich Pallarino, that played. He was a great ball player. Um, Joe Calderera, former candidate for Congress out there in Staten Island, he played. He was great. And um, uh, my cousin-in-law, Joe, he played. He was terrific. So there were some good players. I played mediocre, honestly. I played very well defensively, and I hit the ball a ton in batting practice. And then during the game, I was popping everything up. So I got a couple of hits, reached on error a couple of times. But uh, and had the most aggressive slide of the game. I think I actually had the only slide of the game. But we raised this money for EB, and I linked to it on my Facebook page. If you want to make a small donation, facebook.com slash Morano fan. We had a judge, a civil court judge, act as the umpire, Brendan Lantry. So uh, that was uh, that was very nice of him to volunteer his time. And it was a nice day, nice day. So like I said, we're going to try and play another 
game in the um, in the fall. So there were only two women that played, my wife, Rachel, and my sister, Claudia. So we do recognize gender in our softball games. So I said, all right, since we have two women, why don't we make the women the captain of both teams? So this way both teams have one woman and they can kind of pick who they want. So Rachel is picking all the players. And my friend John Tobacco, who's the host of uh, Wise Guys on Newsmax TV, he was there. And now I know what a good athlete and especially what a good softball player John is. John is a serious softball player, as is his brother Todd, who played as well. And John is coming to the game. He's not even really taking batting practice. He He's just hanging out. I think he take a couple of cuts at batting practice. Doesn't play the field. He's sitting around drinking a high noon. High noon is basically like a hard seltzer almost. It's a vodka and soda. It's better than a hard seltzer. And he's smoking a cigarette. He's drinking a high noon. And I know how good of a softball player John is. And I see my wife, who was on the opposing team. She didn't pick me. She hasn't picked John. And John is amazed that he's getting picked last. And John says to Rachel, hey, what, why am I getting picked last? And she says, you're not taking this seriously. You're walking around with your beer and your cigarette. You know, we need serious players. Sure enough, John was a monster. I think he hit like three home runs. Every ball he hit was just a shot. Very hard hit balls. Uh, I did buy a new softball bat, by the way, $250. Do you believe that's what a softball bat costs? $250. Going broke here with the softball stuff. And then in the outfield, he played the outfield. He was robbing people like crazy with this ability to, um, you know, catch these bizarre, weirdly caught balls. Really a phenomenal job by uh, by John. So it was great. As I said, it was a fundraiser for EB. My cousin Deanna came, and she was good enough to get her husband Joe to play. And she kept score. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so thanks to everybody that played. Thanks to everybody that donated. If you want to donate, go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash fan, and you can give some money to EB. Corey is in Florida. Hello there, Corey. Good morning, Frank. Howdy. I just, uh, you were talking about movies. I just saw Top uh, Maverick today. So, so far, everybody that I've spoken to has loved it. What was your review? I thought it was awesome. All right. Fantastic. Now, I I am yet to hear anybody that didn't like it. There were like five minutes of boring scenes in a two-grade movie. And... um, should try to get to it in on the big screen. So um, besides that, I also found an excellent uh, show called um, Tehran on Apple TV. What's it called, Tehran? Tehran, as in the capital of Iran. Ah, yes, I'm familiar with the city of Tehran, yes. Right, right. So that's the name of the show, and... I won't spoil it for you, but it really was excellent. And if you can bear with reading subtitles, I, I thought it was excellent. Nice. So, okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind. And happy Father's Day. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. Yeah, I don't mind subtitles at all. Um, 
you know, I mean, you can't, I actually like it that you can't look at your phone and stuff during the film. It makes it, you have to focus on the motion picture itself, which I like. All right, we'll continue with your calls in just a minute. Any subject is fair game, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. If you want to know um, what sort of music we play on this show, join our Facebook group. We post it there each and every morning. Uh, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. It's also meant to be a platform for um, discussions about what's happening on this show. So if you want to add your two cents, oh, I can't believe Frank is having this person on. You can do that. If you want to say anything nice about the show uh, or, or not so nice, you're welcome to do it. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook, or you can just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Now, um, then, you know, I'm a blood donor. And I am somebody that uh, thinks blood donation is important. That's why this story caught my eye. You know, when you when you when you donate blood, there's all sorts of questions that you have to answer. Have you had a tattoo or piercing in the last six months? Have you donated blood within the last fifty four days? Have you you know um, had sex with a prostitute? You know, whatever. All sorts of things that they use to screen to make sure your you know, blood is safe. Now, they do test the blood, but um, to make sure you don't have any any viruses or diseases, but whatever. One of the questions that they ask, at least in America, is they ask are, are if you're pregnant. Now, there's an option on the American questionnaire to say, I am male. Well, there's another fella who... I believe this is out of the UK. He reacted to this question a little differently. So a male blood donor by the name of Leslie Sinclair, 66 years old, he has given a staggering 125 pints of blood over the course of the last 50 years. How many gallons is that? I'm not great figuring out pints and gallons. Um, 
pints in a gallon. Let's see. There are one gallon is eight pints. All right. So um, that's really impressive. So anyway, he's donated a lot of blood. He's like me. But he was, that's 18 gallons. Jeez. That's incredible. I've donated over a gallon. I'd say I'm about four four gallons in my lifetime. But whatever. It's not about me. It's about Leslie Sinclair. So he was barred from donating on his most recent trip to a clinic in central Scotland when staff insisted that he answer every question on the paperwork. So he was turned away from this donation center after he refused to indicate whether or not he was pregnant. And so the people at the clinic told him that this policy promotes inclusiveness, arguing it's not always clear if someone is pregnant. Pregnant women or those with a child under six months are not allowed to give blood. So Mr. Sinclair, a retired driver for an engineering company and father of two, said he's been donating since the age of 18 and has never had an issue. He said, he told the Mail Online, the Daily Mail Online, there's always a form to fill in, and that's fine. They tend to ask about medical conditions or diseases, and clearly that's because the blood needs to be safe. This time around, there was a question I hadn't seen before. Are you pregnant or have you been in the last six months? Which required a yes or no answer. He said, it's nonsensical, to make, and it makes me angry because there are vulnerable people waiting for blood including children and in desperate need of help. But they've been denied my blood because of the obligation to answer a question that can't possibly be answered. See, I'm looking at the questionnaire here. I'm going to link to this on my Facebook page so you could see it, uh, facebook.com slash moranofan, and you could see the, the questionnaire for yourself. But um, I'm looking at the questionnaire, and unlike in the United States, or at least in, in New York, it doesn't look like there's an option to check a box that says, I am male. You can only check, are you pregnant or have you been the last six months? Yes or no. Now, I don't know why he had to make this such a big thing. He could have just checked the box that said no and given the blood and we'd, be, we'd move on with this whole thing. But he refused to answer. It's clear that he wanted to make this his cause here. So I don't think this guy handled it right. He's right. They should have let him donate. It's silly not to let him donate. But, one, they should have an option on this form, like it does the form I fill out, that says, I am male. But, come on, just check the box that says no and donate the blood and get it to people that need it. So I think this is one of those situations where everybody is wrong. The clinic is wrong. He's wrong. And the people that put together this questionnaire that don't have an option that says, I am male, they're wrong. Everybody is wrong. It's like the the last, it's the prince in um, Romeo and Juliet, where he says, all are punished, all are punished. This is my, my condemnation of everybody involved. So Professor Mark Turner, director of the Scottish National Blood Transfusion Service, said... We appreciate the support of each and every one of our donor community and thank Mr. Sinclair for his commitment over a long number of years. Whilst pregnancy is only a relevant question to those 
whose biological sex or sex assigned at birth is female. Jeez. Uh, don't you get exhausted with all this stuff? I do. Sex assigned at birth is not always visually clear to staff. As a public body, we take cognizance of changes in society around how such questions may be asked without discrimination and have a duty to promote inclusiveness. Therefore, all donors are now asked the same questions. The guy should have just checked the box that said no, right? What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So I'll tell you what I did Friday after our uh, our meeting. So I, after our show on Friday, I moved my car into the parking lot. And then we had our meeting at 7. Went really well. The show's going great. Not only are the ratings uh, through the roof, we're, we're still number one in our time slot, but what we're also seeing as we look over the streaming data, the incredible growth in people that listen to this show live through streaming, either through WABCRadio.com or the WABC app, it's staggering. If you look at where we were a year ago, I, I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say in terms of streaming numbers, but our audience, just the people that listen online, has essentially doubled from a year ago, which is really impressive. So thank you to everyone, that, however you listen, whether it's radio, whether it's live streaming, or whether it's podcast. So then I had plans to meet my friend Peter Schwartz at noon, who's an old friend of mine from uh, college, and he's a great guy, and I haven't seen him since before the pandemic. And uh, he's just always a lot of fun to, to get together with. And so we got the call from Xavier a couple of times, who's the proprietor of Billy Marks West, which is a bar, which I'm not being insulting here. It's kind of a dive. And it's I love it. It's perfect. It's the kind of bar that you don't really see in New York anymore. And I've been there. And Xavier told us, we keep your show on all the time and listen to WABC all the time. So... We made a plan to all go there, and then Matt comes up with some excuse about needing to take care of his dogs and then take his longtime companion to the airport. Meanwhile, I think everybody who knows Matt knew he was never coming around. That's it. The chances of seeing Matt at anything social ever are pretty close to zero. There is a better... Blah, blah, blah. Blah, is, blah, blah. There is a better chance that I will socialize with an extraterrestrial before I socialize with, with Matt Blaze. That is true. And that's fine. So, so then uh, Alex Barnard and I, we, you know, we made a plan to go there. And the great thing about this bar is that it opens early, opens at 8 a.m. So we go there right after our meeting and uh, have a couple of drinks. We're, we're, for the most part, we're the only two guys in there. There's one other guy. A really cool place. Xavier was not there, but his brother was there. And sure enough, they did have WABC on the entire time we were there. But it was on the west side, so we took an Uber over there. And I knew this was too ambitious of an agenda because it was like a $40 Uber ride. I go back to my friend Arthur's office to nap on his couch. I set my alarm for 1144. For some reason, I don't wake up. My phone's ringing at 12.30. It's Peter. Where are you? I'm a half hour late for this lunch. I run out of there, and then I found out later that night I set my alarm for 11.44 p.m., not a.m. 
Let that be a cautionary tale. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank moreno thanks for tuning in hey coming up in about a half hour after the thousand dollar minute we're going to talk with someone really interesting keelan darby she is a police officer and the wife of ben darby who's also a police officer in huntsville alabama and he is currently serving a prison sentence for murder after an encounter with a suicidal armed suspect we're going to get into this in a big way. So we'll, uh, we're also speaking of police. We're watching the situation in downtown Washington, D.C., where police say a teenager is dead and three people, including a police officer, have been shot and wounded in Washington, D.C. It happened last night in Washington's bustling U Street corridor near a Juneteenth celebration. I, I just, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. What better way to celebrate Juneteenth than by shooting people? I, I just unbelievable. So the officer involved was transported to the hospital and is in stable condition, thank goodness. Law enforcement was already on the scene of what they're calling an unpermitted event due to a fight that had broken out. The gunfire erupted as victims from that incident were being treated. No word yet on any arrests. You know, it's funny. There's an election, as I understand it, coming up for Washington, D.C. mayor. And the mayor there, Muriel, Muriel Bowser, who's not exactly considered a conservative. Remember, she was the one responsible for that uh, Black Lives Matter mural. She's being opposed by two council members in Washington, D.C., on the city council, who say she's too conservative in fighting crime. So they want her to take more of a defund the police approach. That's what they think the solution is. In D.C., I, I'm amazed, amazed. And this this thing is going on, this kind of dis, disparity between different wings of the Democratic Party is going on in city after city. You saw it in New York where we had Eric Adams versus Mayor Wiley. You see it in L.A. now, and now you're seeing it in D.C. where you have these cities that are kind of wrestling with how close? How much of a, a how how they want to handle this crime problem? So we'll see what happens. All right. Now, very interesting. We saw a couple of days ago the FDA, excuse me, the CDC, the CDC um, backing COVID shots unanimously for children as young as six months old. Up to the age of five. So it's very interesting. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Saturday, they backed Pfizer and Moderna's COVID vaccine 
for children six months of age to five years of age. The CDC's Committee of Independent Vaccine Experts voted unanimously to recommend the shots for infants through preschoolers after two days of public meetings. So my wife um, was sending me an article about this. She loves this. The only parenting so-called expert that she really reads is this woman, Emily Oster, who's an economist and um, is really a bright woman. And she forwards me this article that Emily Oster wrote diving into the data on what it suggests for both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines in children. And I'll spare you the whole article, but in essence, it looks like the Moderna has uh, much better. It's it's much better for children from what I could see in the data that she's assembled. But anyway, we have a child that's seven months old. He'll be seven months old in five days. So he's now eligible for this vaccine. And we were discussing yesterday whether or not to give him this COVID vaccine. And let me first say very clearly that I am very pro-vaccine. I got my vaccine as soon as I was eligible. I got my booster shot as soon as I was eligible. Very pro-vaccine. So we were discussing whether or not to have our child get the vaccine. And I'll tell you where I think we left things, but I'd love to hear your view. If you're the parent or the grandparent of a child under the age of five, are you going to have them get this new children's COVID shot? Why or why not? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And you can comment on anything else we've covered today as well. 1-800-848-WABC. So the, they met and they voted um, 21 to nothing in favor of both vaccines. So there's the they're going to go forward with the formal FDA approval, and then this is going to be available starting on Tuesday. Essentially, where my wife and I landed was that we would talk to our pediatrician at Carmine's next appointment and kind of see his recommendation. That's the whole point about having a doctor that you trust. You go with what your doctor recommends. But, Essentially, I said maybe we should wait until he's in daycare or preschool, probably not until he's about three years old or so, and he's only seven months now. So we're talking now waiting a couple of years. And um, both of us, I think, were sort of of the view that it doesn't seem, at least at the moment, to be terribly devastating when most children get it. Additionally, um, my wife was vaccinated while she was pregnant. And so we figure he's still got some immunity from being inside her and getting the vaccine w- while she was pregnant. Additionally, she was breastfeeding at the time that she had COVID. Uh, so and right after she had COVID, right after she recovered from COVID. So the thinking is that maybe she has he has some of her immunity from that. So our view was we're going to wait for now. Uh, and not rush to get him vaccinated because he's still in the midst of getting all of his other shots, measles and mumps and rubella and all those other shots that children have been getting for a long time. So I don't know your view. Our view is we're not going to hurry it. 
Maybe once he goes to school, maybe that's when we'll get it. And then we said if there's some new outbreak that shows it's very tough on children and that children have a tough time with it, then maybe we'll revisit this decision. But in a nutshell, I think we're going to hold off and talk to our pediatrician and see what he says. Because I'm a big believer in that. Find a doctor you trust and go with them. You know, my brother, um, his he just got married. His in-laws, his father-in-law and mother-in-law, they live in another state. I don't want to give too much information, but they live in another state. And they both just got COVID. And so my brother is a PhD in, uh, I believe, either biochemistry or neurochemistry. But, you know, he's he follows all this stuff. And so their doctor prescribed for them hydroxychloroquine. My brother was apoplectic. He says this is a conspiracy theory drug. This The doctor's only giving it because he's conservative. That doctor should be thrown in jail. That doctor should lose his license. He's going on and on. So we got a whole big argument about this. I said, Nick, first of all, these are intelligent people. They can make decisions about their own health care. Second, this is a doctor that they trust. You know, I mean, they're... They didn't choose this doctor willy-nilly. Third, the pharmacist filled the prescription. Pharmacist is always kind of the backstop at making sure you don't fill any irresponsible prescriptions. But he didn't want to hear it. We got into a very heated discussion and then changed subjects. But I really do think that doctor-patient relationship is so important. Put some effort into finding a doctor that you like. Find that doctor. And you got to trust their recommendations. So that's what we're going to do, I think, with this pediatrician. But tell me what you're doing. Are you having your child uh, vaccinated? 800-848-9222. Why or why not? 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, and you can comment on anything else we've covered as well. Let me say hello first to Vicki in Brooklyn. Hello, Vicki. Yeah, hi, Frank. Hi, um, just wanted to say I don't agree with you with regards to the gentleman, you know. If he does, if he feels incensed and he doesn't want to play that game and he doesn't want to sign the form, he doesn't want to sign the form. I agree with him. All right, well, I mean, look, it's silly that they make him sign the form, but um, what's the harm in just checking the yeah, box because, that says no? Because it's, it's all about validation. It's all about um, whatever game they want to play to make you change your understanding of nature, okay? If a man, if the the man says he's a man, he's a man. Why would you be asking him about pregnancy? Yeah, I, I All hear these you. Questions. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, look, no. I, I like I said, I think the form that we use here in New York's a lot better because you can just check a box that says I am male, and you don't have to then answer. There's no reason they shouldn't have that in Scotland as well. I, I, thank you, Vicky. I just think you're there to donate blood. There's a lot of people that need blood. You know they're telling you if you don't answer the question that you're not going to donate. Who is being helped by you standing on this moral high ground? I, I just I think it's silly uh, that he just didn't just check the box that said no. Personally, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Talking about the fact that starting Tuesday, starting tomorrow, children between six months and five years old are now eligible for the COVID vaccine. I happen to be the father of a child that is in this age range. What would you do? Would you get your child vaccinated for COVID? Why or why not? 
800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So the FDA issued these reports on the Moderna and the Pfizer filings, and both vaccines are essentially lower formulations of the adult and older child vaccines. And millions and millions of doses of those vaccines have been given across a wide range of age groups. And based on these, Emily Oster writes, she draws a few key lessons. One is that vaccines provoke an antibody response to COVID. Two, the vaccines are extremely effective against severe illness and death, even during Omicron. Three, the vaccines show much more limited efficacy against symptomatic illness with Omicron. Four, the safety profile of the vaccines is excellent. The most serious issues have been an increased risk of myocarditis in young men. So these pediatric vaccine trials, like all vaccine trials, they're intended to evaluate efficacy and safety. So in terms of efficacy, the trials evaluating these pediatric vaccines in a real sense lean heavily on what we know from these vaccines for older people. These trials are what they call immunobridging studies. They infer vaccine effectiveness not by looking directly at the efficacy against symptomatic or serious illness, but by comparing antibody response with the antibody response in adults. So if the antibody levels are similar to what's seen in adults, the vaccine is considered effective. So with that in mind, what do you do? Do you get your kid the COVID vaccine? My wife and I, our attitude is let's wait and see. Let's talk to the pediatrician. Let's see if another more virulent strain emerges, and let's pause. 800-848-WABC. What would you do? Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Um, I would I would say at a minimum, a minimum, any parent who rushes to get it right now, I, I just I can't I can't fathom why. Uh, I'm a pharmacist. I got the vaccine because I. It was either that and uh, testing and wearing masks all the time, so I did it out of uh, expediency. But I, I regretted doing it. I had a terrible reaction um, until they could show proof that it has, like, a negative effect, the, the COVID, not the vaccine, on young children, which you, they kind of gloss over how it affects uh, less than 1% of, of children, and, and there's, like, no deaths, thank God. But, I mean, God forbid there was even one or two. I mean, with everything in life, there's risks. This vaccine isn't proven. I'm not, a, I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but it was rushed. And uh, it was rushed to save older people, which I think to some degree it has. But look at, look at Fauci. Through two or three shots and the booster, you still got it. And, you know, the, the, uh, what they give you is, well, I, I didn't get as sick as I could have. How, do you, how could you prove that? You, you don't know that everybody that had four shots already, they're still they're still getting it. So well, but the, you do uh, you do see, Joe, that the people that are fully vaccinated are much like less likely to get hospitalized. We have seen that. Oh, uh, there, there's there's some argument too, but they they sold it though as you, you know it will protect you. If you go back and watch from 2019 to the present. If you want to use Fauci, who I, I really can't stand, you'll see that the story changes, and they never admit once that the story changed. They just it changes one day from the next, and it's like, well, this is the truth. But yesterday, you told us something that was the truth. Yeah, and, well, you're right. No, the, you know, the the conflicting messages from health officials, the Surgeon General, and Anthony Fauci, 
It's very frustrating. It's very confusing. And it does undermine public confidence, I think, in what they're putting out there. So your view is, as a vaccinated guy and as a pharmacist, don't rush into anything in terms of these pediatric vaccines. At, at a minimum, let, let there be some, I mean, you feel bad for the people who, if they want to rush, that's fine. But let's see if you start seeing data about, you know, the myocarditis. You, you didn't hear about that in the beginning. And then I think it was an Israeli study that showed, hey, this, this is affecting young men. There's a heart condition in my family. I'm regretting getting it for my son. Yeah. You, you just, you got to wait until the people who really want it, let them do it. But, you know, if you see something that comes out that, that just wasn't expected in a, in a multi-million uh, person uh, trial now, now that it's going to go to market, that's when you see the weird stuff and you see how prevalent the weird stuff happens. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joe. So listen, so in the Moderna trial, according to Emily Oster, you do see evidence of both local and in the older age group systemic reactions to the vaccine. Now, this isn't really surprising and that we see because you see that in adults. Fevers were common in the Moderna trial, although they were mostly low and short-lived. But there is the question about these typical vaccine side effects occurring at a relatively high rate in this age group. So in terms of serious issues, uh, based on the data that the FDA reviewed from the Moderna trial, there was one episode in the two to five group that was judged judged as possibly related and one in the younger group that was thought to be related, but both of them were resolved um, relatively quickly. So, um, you know, again... These vaccines seem to work in kids, according to Emily Oster, like they work in adults, which is to say they provoke a significant antibody response, um, which we expect will protect against serious illness. This is a low risk group for serious illness, but it's a not it's not a no risk group and vaccines do lower it. Again, my wife and I, our view is it doesn't seem to be devastating in children, thankfully. So for now, I think we're going to hold off unless our pediatrician says differently. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on on any of the anything we've covered today, quite frankly. And coming up at 4:30, uh, right after the $1000 minute, you're not going to want to miss my discussion with uh, a very interesting woman, Keelan Darby. She's a police officer and the wife of Ben Darby, who's a Huntsville, Alabama cop who's currently sitting in a prison cell for murder. And we're going to get into her husband's case in a big way. Ellen is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Frank. Uh, I, I tune in every night. You know, thank goodness you're on tonight. Is you know, I I try over the weekend, but he's on. I'm not even going to say his name. It's just I'm sick of him. Always, you know, belittling you. I know you say he's. He's bragging and just, you know, joking. It doesn't seem like it. It's just, you know, it's irritating. John Manelli should have fired him 30 years ago. <laughs> well, he did. He did. I, I said, oh, flood the, flood the uh, what did he say? Uh, he and Lisa were on the air, and he said, flood the, um, the, the lines and, you know, just, you know, He's really freaked out. You know, I just, I am so sick of him. You know, just, and there's not, so as soon as I hear his voice, I turn on CBS or, uh, what is the other one? Uh, 1010 Wins 
or coast to coast. You know, enough already. Stop it. Well, you have a fun show, and I really like it. Well, thanks, I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much uh, for your nice words. As I've said a hundred times, you know, Curtis's teasing of me is just, it's fun. It's just in good fun. Uh, nobody should take it too seriously. I find it amusing. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful to be talked about and that he's promoting the show. Nobody should be the least bit perturbed about anything Curtis says about me at all. 800-848-WABC. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Uh, listening to you talk about the vaccinations, uh, my kids are uh, 11 and 15. I went to this about eight months ago. And what we did, me and my wife, exactly what you're doing. We went to the pediatrician. We talked to them. And my pediatrician said, since my daughter plays a lot of sports and they're both in school and they're around a lot of kids, he recommended that, it, number one, it was safe. Uh, number two, to have them get it. Um, they didn't get their booster shots, though. They just got the first two shots. Um, we're still on the fence about the booster. Now, I'm just um, curious. But, why are you on the fence about the booster? If you had them get the the prior shots, why would you be on the fence about them getting the booster? Well, they're saying that come flu season time in September, October, that the coronavirus vaccination is going to be part of the flu shot. So me and my wife said, since, you know, they got the two bait shots, we're going to let them go with that sort of regimen, you know, uh, with the flu shot. Uh, I, Frank, they did no effect whatsoever because uh, it was my son got a milder dose than my daughter, of course, because he's smaller. Um, my daughter's been exposed to many kids that had COVID, never got sick. Um, you know what I'm saying? Um, my pediatrician was very blunt and said, you know, it's your choice. Do what you want. He said that it was perfectly fine. Don't go by what other people are telling you because they're going to try to fill your head with all this propaganda stuff. Do what you feel. Now, my personal advice to you, your son's uh, what, five months old. If he's not what? in daycare, sort of preschool sort of settings, then I would wait until at least he's a year old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, and I, I think that's what we're going to do. We're in no hurry, and uh, probably not until he goes to daycare, probably not until he's about three, are we going to uh, get this unless circumstances change. And, you know, again, we'll yeah. talk with our pediatrician. Thanks for the call, Joe, and the advice. I'm, I hope you had a great Father's Day. 800-848-9222. Matt is in New Jersey. Hello, Matt. Hi. <clears throat> okay. Um uh- uh, my my case, I have a problem with you blaming uh, somebody that wants to donate blood that he could easily have checked the box. I'm not sure if you understand that he has no responsibility to do that. He can just go home and relax. So the, the amount of uh, pressure that is being put on him, I think that's why we have a lot of problems in, in going on with all these uh, changes that they are trying to adopt. I believe that we should pressure the comp- the those that are make, uh, doing the blood drive. They are the people that should change and uh, accept uh, blood from somebody that wants to donate. Why ask him about uh, pregnancy? He's a man already. They can understand that he's a man. So I think the effort, your radio and other uh, avenues, they should pressure uh, whoever is doing that drive. 
so that they can change that instead of blaming the man. It has nothing to lose. Yeah, uh, well, thank you, Matt. I, I, I respect what you're saying. I didn't make out everything, but, um, you know, I, I think we'll just agree to disagree on this one. Uh, I get what you're saying. Makes sense. Obviously, they should have just let him donate. I don't don't see why he couldn't just check the box that says no and just donate it. It strikes me as the simplest situation, but uh, a lot of good people feel differently. Jennifer is in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, Frank. Um, have you ever had Dr. Peter McCullough on your show? Uh, do you mean Dr. Peter Mikolos? No, McCullough. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I have. Um, I would highly, highly recommend him. Um, and I would certainly, before I put any of this into my child, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Doctors, it's like every doctor blanket across the board. Oh, vaccinate, vaccinate. I, most of them are very ill-informed or uninformed about what the vaccinations actually are. I think Dr. Ma- Peter McCullough is brilliant. Dr. Tyson, Dr. Farid. I mean, there's so many of these uh, people that have been treating and and. Are you familiar with the Pfizer um, information that came out within the past few weeks, I believe it was, give or take? I'm not sure exactly, but that Pfizer had wanted to keep under wraps. Yes, I did see that. Years. I did see that, yes. It, you, your wife got vaccinated. I don't know what vaccine she got. I think she got Moderna, I think. Did you did you see specifically about about babies and all, all of what they were trying to keep under wraps there and pregnant women, it's horrible. And you know they can never be sued, any of these companies right. with the vaccines. Right. And to me, the myocarditis, having worked in cardiology, uh, I mean, it's a bad disease. You don't want a young person to get myocarditis. Hey, remind and, me, remind me, Jennifer, um, what was your background in healthcare? Were you a nurse? Uh, no, I worked in EKG labs and did, you know, stress testing and all that stuff uh, for a number of years. And um, I scheduled cardiothoracic surgeries and blood banking and all that stuff. So, um, you know, ER rotations, all that fun stuff. So um, it was a cardiothoracic group I worked with. But I will tell you this. Um, I know very, very smart doctors that um, – do not believe in the vaccines. And if you look at it, Frank, there's a lot to be... Do you know Alex Berenson that used to write for the Yeah, I've, I've had him on the show. Uh, and have you read his Substack lately? I would highly Yeah, I subscribe. It. I subscribe. Yeah, he, was some interesting stuff there. Yeah, but Dr. Peter McCullough, I'm not sure. He's out of Texas. I can't remember. He's a brilliant man, and I've heard, I heard him interviewed numerous times. And also, I don't know that you've had Dr. Marty McCary on. Uh, uh, yes, I have had him on. Uh, it's been a while. He doesn't like the late night, so uh, we may have to uh, pre-tape him if yeah. we get well, him back. Anyways, maybe you could try Peter McCullough. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty accessible. And also, maybe you'd want to talk to somebody about that Pfizer report, because to me, I found a lot of what was in that staggering, and especially for – Young children now, I mean, I'm very careful about how I vaccinate my dog. You know, I split his vaccines. I, you know, the core vaccines last a lot longer than they want you to give them. You know, they give them every year. They last up to seven years. You can titer for vaccine, you know, for diseases. So to me, children are at such a low, low, low risk unless mm-hmm. they have comorbidities or preexisting conditions, you know. So it's just a thought because I think, I think, you know, there's sort of a herd, herd mentality now, you know. Um, just go along to get along. And, and I think a lot of us have lost our free thinking skills. And, and last but not least on the man in Scotland, that's, just, that's the whole thing. I, I, I mean, 
why should it be incumbent upon him to, oh, just check the box? You know, are they going to ask women if, they have pros- if they've had prostate cancer? I mean, it's absurd. So why play the game? Why don't they – Why? And I, I just don't understand why we have to overcomplicate, uh, overcomplicate things to please a few. Why not just do what's right and simple and get it done? Yeah, so that's my Jennifer, it makes sense. Makes sense on all. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. My view is, I mean, what's the harm in just saying no? The answer is no. You haven't been pregnant. I, I, it's just, I, I don't know. I get what everyone's saying. I just think sometimes we're, oh, we overcomplicate things. Don't get me wrong. I don't think the form is appropriate. I think the clinic should have let him donate. But what would he be losing by just checking the box that says no? All right, um, $1,000 minute straight ahead. We're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000, and then I'm really looking forward to talking with Keelan Darby. Uh, she's going through a tough situation, he, she and her family. Her husband's in prison for murder. He's a police officer. She's a police officer. We'll give you the details of his case in just a minute. Uh, my heart really goes out to their family. We'll tell you about his case, but if you want to... P- Answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And if you are the seventh caller, we'll give you an opportunity to win some money. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're going to talk uh, with Keelan Darby in uh, just a second. And uh, very much looking forward to talking with her. Her story is unbelievable. Her husband's story is unbelievable. And it's very sad. Uh, that's the one thing, wherever you come down on his case, that I think we can all agree on. It's sad. But on a much brighter note... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Uh, let's say hello to today's contestant, Ernie in Westchester. Hello there, Ernie. How you doing? I'm doing well, Ernie. Ernie, you're familiar with this game? Yes. yes. Okay, so uh, the timer will begin after I ask you the first question. You answer a question right, we're just going to move right on to the next one so that we can run through all these questions in 60 seconds. You ready to go? Yes. Okay. What holiday took place on Sunday? Father's Day. What president is known as the father of our country? Oh, boy. George Washington. What WABC personality hosts a show Sunday nights highlighting the music of Frank Sinatra? Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> How could I not? Sunday nights. How could I not? Yeah, I know. Six to eight. Uh, Initials JP. I know it. His birthday was Friday. Yeah, yeah. 
can see him. All right, Ernie. Um, it was Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo hosts his Sundays with Sinatra show. So I'm sorry. Yeah, it's sometimes the name just doesn't come to you. I'm going to put you on hold, Ernie. Give Ryan your information. And uh, even though, you know, it was not the best effort I've seen in a while, we're going to give you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight uh, T-shirt. Meantime, very pleased to welcome Keelan Darby. Uh, she is a police officer and the wife of Ben Darby, who is currently serving a prison sentence for murder. Keelan, uh, it's great to have you on the show. I'm sorry it's under these uh, difficult circumstances. Hey, Frank. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So uh, just so folks know about your background, uh, you're you're currently a police officer in Alabama, right? Yes, I've been a police officer for six years. And um, your husband, Ben, was also a police officer, at least until this recent uh, situation. How did the how did the two of you meet? Uh, we met at college. Uh in Pensacola, Florida. And how long, how, how, long, um, how long was he a police officer for until his uh, dismissal from the department? So he was a police officer for five years. Uh, we both started in February of 2016 for our, our different department. And, that's... and his, his incident happened in April of 2018. So he was on the job for almost two years. So uh, he relatively early in his tenure as a police officer when that April 2018 incident occurred. And how long are you guys married? Uh, we'll be six years this October. Oh. And um, did he have, obviously it was very early in his tenure as a cop, but prior to this April 2018 incident, did he have any history of um, disciplinary actions by the department? Had he been reprimanded for anything? No, he had a totally clean record. Okay. Uh, so... April 2018, he has this encounter with Jeff Parker, uh, an armed man who was suicidal. Uh, For people that know nothing about this case, which I think is most of our audience, just explain to folks what happened with this April 2018 encounter with Jeff Parker. Yeah, so April 2018, Ben was on duty for Huntsville Police Department, and a call had come out that a man... He, the guy, Parker, called in and said, I have a gun. I'm about to blow my brains out. The front door's open. So uh, dispatch had sent some officers, and the officers asked for additional backup before they even got there. So Ben was nearby, and he went. And officers are trained uh, nationwide that if you have a guy with a gun and they're in their own house, you don't go into that house. You surround the house and call them out. And Ben had answered several calls. Um, similar to this prior to this one, and on every call, they surrounded the house and called the person out and dealt with them outside of the house because it's safer. Uh, The officer doesn't know what's going on inside the house where outside they do. So Ben got there. Um, When he gets there, he doesn't see the officers following their training and staying outside the house. He sees uh, one of them on the front porch and the other one he doesn't see. So he runs up there with his shotgun which he had taken out because of his training to surrounding call out. And the female officers inside the house with her gun pointed at the ground, talking to a suicidal man who has a gun um, out and pointed at his own head. So the female officer is talking to him and trying to de-escalate the situation. But to her fault, she's not able to communicate clearly to him. And she's not standing behind anything to protect her. She's out in the wide open with a guy with a gun less than 21 feet away from her. 
and Ben sees that the man is not following any of the directions that she's giving to him. Uh, they told him a total of five times before Ben got there to put the gun down, and the man refused to do so. So Ben uh, entered the house and told the told Parker, put the gun down. And Parker said, no, I'm not going to do it. And Ben said, I'm not going to tell you again, put the gun down. And um, Ben had to stop the threat to his life and the other two officers' lives that day. And um, unfortunately, a life was taken that day. But in the totality of the circumstances, when you have someone who's not following directions and you have officers in the wide open that aren't protected from the threat against them, uh, you officers have to act accordingly, and Ben did so. Uh, talking with Keelan Darby about her uh, husband Ben's uh, case, April 2018, just a, a tragic story all the way around. Clearly a, a gentleman that was mentally ill and that was uh, that was armed told authorities that he was suicidal. The police arrive, and uh, it resulted in the uh, loss of his life. Do you think, Keelan, that um, – and I'm sure you've spent a lot of time thinking about this case and looking into it over the last four years – that this was his goal? Do you think his goal was suicide by cop? Yes, and I know that for a fact that it was. During the trial, his neighbor had come forward and attempted to testify about conversations that he had had with uh, Mr. Parker, and the judge and the prosecution objected and said it was hearsay. You can't, hearsay is, um, if you have a direct conversation with someone, like this conversation I'm having with you is a direct testimony. Um, if one of your listeners were to talk about it, that would be hearsay. But if you or I were to talk about it, mm. that would be a direct testimony. And so the judge said, you're not allowed to talk to the jury about it. She sent the jury out of the room, and the the neighbor was allowed to tell the court record. And it was allowed to be documented that way. But the 12 people who were making the decision as to whether Ben was actually a murderer or not, weren't allowed to hear it. Wow. Uh, well, we'll get back to the trial in just a second. But before there was a trial, um, I'm imagining the department did its own internal review. And we've seen just in a lot of the high profile cases in New York that I've followed, but people have probably heard about these cases in other jurisdictions. Sometimes um, the police departments will find, OK, the police officer didn't do anything criminal, but they acted inappropriately, so there's going to be some sort of disciplinary action. The most recent case that I can think of in New York that got a lot of attention was the Eric Garner situation where there was no crime, no federal crime, no state crime, but the department said, well, you know, he didn't do the right thing, so we're firing this cop. Did the Huntsville Police Department do any sort of a review prior to the criminal trial that your husband was involved in? Yes, they had a incident review board immediately um, after the shooting and two weeks after the shooting that they uh, came forward and they said Ben and Ben did not violate any policy, procedure, state, local, federal law. They came and said that the other two officers did and that those other two officers were required to go through remedial training for lack of threat assessment. Uh, ben did not have to go through any type of retraining because they came to the conclusion that he did not do anything wrong and he acted correctly. And this whole interaction was captured on your husband's uh, body camera, right? Yes, his body camera and the other two officers' body camera footage is recorded. And the department came to the decision, to the conclusion 
that the other officers acted inappropriately and that Ben acted appropriately. Correct. And so then how does he end up getting indicted? If the police department does such a thorough review, if this is all documented on three different video body cameras, how does the district attorney end up indicting him? So there's bad blood between Madison County District Attorney and Huntsville Police Department. And lawyers from the district attorney's office uh, spoke with Huntsville, retired Huntsville Police Chief Mark McMurray. He's retired now. But at the time, they spoke to him and said, hey, if you fire Ben Darby, we won't press charges against him. And Chief McMurray said, no, he didn't do anything wrong. He followed his training that we gave him, that the state gave him, and all of the local state federal policy. He followed his he followed his, the job that he was given to do. I'm not firing him. And so they went back and forth. And six months later, they said, OK, if you're not going to fire him, we're going to charge him. And they charge him with murder. My goodness. All right. So he goes on trial for murder. You mentioned the judge not allowing that uh, that testimony from the neighbor, which seems like it would have been exculpatory and essentially proven that what uh, that what ben, what Jeff Parker was trying to do was commit suicide by cop. Um that being said, the jury did hear testimony. They did review this body camera footage, and they came to the conclusion that um, your husband was guilty of murder. They evaluated the evidence. They discussed it, deliberated, presumably. Why was the jury wrong? Why should folks not necessarily respect the jury's determination in your husband's case? Because they weren't they weren't allowed to hear all the facts. They weren't allowed to hear the neighbor's. Uh, testimony. They weren't allowed to hear a training advisor that taught Ben in the academy the uh, idea of action versus reaction. And this officer, um, he had a very, he had his own, he was in a shooting um, with a guy who had a gun pointed at the ground. And before the officer could recognize it, the the man um, shot, he was able to flick his wrist and shoot him in the face. Thankfully, he lived because it was birdshot. Um, but he was taught action versus reaction, how you cannot wait. If there's a gun involved and they don't drop the gun um, in the totality of the circumstances, if you don't have any cover or concealment between you, he, he is a direct threat to you. Um, case law was not allowed to be heard to the jury that would have exonerated Ben. That being Graham versus Connor, Montu versus Carr, and Grzynski versus Palm Beach uh, Sheriff's Office. Um, all those cases involve uh, people with guns, and in Graham, it says the officer does not have to wait for the beat of the weapon to be pointed at him if he feels like his life or another person's life is in imminent danger. And that's exactly what happened. The mm. man was not listening to police. He had been given seven commands to drop the weapon, and he didn't. And Ben recognized the threat between his life and Mr. Parker and the lives of the other two officers present. Um, so he's found guilty. The jury finds him guilty. What was his sentence? So um, he was sentenced to 25 years for murder um, in Alabama. 20 murder with a when you use a weapon, it's a um, enhancement. So you get 20 years as a minimum sentence. Um, the DA wanted to stick it to Ben and make him a example and requested 25 years, which would allow, which would not allow Ben to 
be out during the appeal. We are currently appealing this, and uh, he sits day for day in a prison with um, true murderers and true bad people, bad guys who actually do commit crime as an innocent man, and he'll sit there day for day until the appeal comes back. So he's sitting in prison now? Yes. I haven't seen him. I, he's been in, Today, actually, is 10 months. He's been in prison for 10 months. And I've seen him twice out of that 10 months. What's the status of his appeal? Um, right now, it's we're waiting the, for the courts to make a decision. Um, they have no timeline, so that's the hard part. We were given a timeline where we had to get all of our documents and all of our briefs in. Now that they have everything, they can um, they make they make their decision as to when they're going to make it. So we're hoping it's by the end of the year, and we're planning for that for obvious reasons. Um, but it's whenever they get around to it. So um, the paperwork is all submitted. You're just waiting for the appeals court to make a determination now. Correct. Most likely, from what we've been told, uh, we should be given a new trial, and this will get retried. Do you guys but have children? Uh, not right now. We would love to have kids, but uh, that was taken from us, from him being uh, charged. Um, we didn't want to have kids during this process. Sure, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. Um, how the, the DA in Madison County, it's, you mentioned the bad blood between the DA's office and the uh, Huntsville Police Department. Uh, do you get the sense that the DA has tried to benefit politically by going after this case, which is high profile, especially in Alabama, and uh, it kind of look like he's, you know, getting tough with, um, you know, w- with rogue cops or something like that. Do you get the sense that the DA has politicized this? I think he has. Um, if, you know, this happened again in 2018, and the reason why we didn't go to court until uh, this past year was because of COVID. Um and then no one heard about the case because of a gag order that the judge issued mm. because from the beginning, the city, the department, the chief all back then, and then the DA got up and said the exact opposite. And so she shut everything down. Um, I think he is trying to use Ben as a scapegoat for him because there's been uh, at least five other shootings from his department. And some of them in very similar circumstances as Ben were in. And none of those officers are in prison. Mm. I'm not asking for that to happen because I would hate for anyone to have to go through this. But he has something against Ben Darby. And, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out myself while fighting for his freedom. What does a situation like this, forgetting about the uh, separation, the physical separation between you and your husband, but the stress that you've both been under for the last four years, what does something like this do to a marriage? I mean, I I work nights and I'm on the opposite schedule of my wife and I know the stress that that puts on our relationship. I can't imagine what this must be like. How has your, your relationship and your marriage fared through this? Yeah, um, I give the credit to God for that. Um, we Our marriage has grown closer because of this. Um, you, you get put through a hard time and... You see what's going to work and what's not. And we, Ben and I, drew closer to each other um, through this. It's very hard, especially now. Um, I'm not allowed to contact him. I have to wait for him to call me. And then um, I'm allowed to see him once a month for about an hour and a half when we boil down, getting searched in and processed into the facility. Um, And when I talk to him, there's 
it's always recorded. So I can't have a true conversation with him because there's certain things I'm not going to bring up over the phone. Sure. People are listening. Um, but it's something that we, we have always put our marriage um, ahead of our career, ahead of life. And it's something that we focus on to this day. Is it hard? Yeah, because we can't communicate the way a normal functioning mm. uh spouse relationship would would because of the constraints put against us but um we have become much closer and our marriage has become much stronger and i give god the credit to that uh we're talking with keelan darby about her son her uh, husband ben's uh, case uh ben is being supported by the pipe hitter foundation so if you want to learn more about his case you can go to pipe hitter org. Um, do you think, let me ask you this as both a police officer yourself and the spouse of a police officer, are you concerned that this, this situation that your husband has gone through here, that this could have a chilling effect on one people wanting to become police officers in the first place, but two people that are police officers being less proactive in dealing with volatile and dangerous situations, particularly dealing with mentally ill folks who happen to be armed. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like, like we mentioned, I am a police officer for a different agency, but I'm also, I am one in North Alabama and we have called my, my guys will call me that I supervise and they say, Hey, uh, what do we do about this? Because it's very, we get calls similar to Ben's situation and um, people don't, when, when Ben's verdict came out in uh, May, May 7th of 20, 2021, uh, I can guarantee you that policing in North Alabama stopped, especially in Huntsville because no one expected this um, at all because Ben followed the, mm. the, the rules that he was given. Um, and the guy was given more than one opportunity to, follow directions and he, he decided not to and it, it didn't work out well for him um no i mean it's yeah. it's it's just staggering uh we're just about out of time but if uh people want to help uh what would you suggest what can people rank and file people that aren't on the appeals court what can they do to help your husband and your family in the situation that you're going through uh obviously this is a huge financial burden to us because we're fighting the legal um legal system to get him free. So if people would like to donate, they can go to pipehitterfoundation.org and they'd set up a donation link mm. for us. Um, people can reach out to um, the Alabama governor, lieutenant governor. Um, Attorney General Steve Marshall is now the prosecutor of the case. I encourage people to write him letters and ask, demand that they free Ben Darby for doing his job. Um, Steve Marshall is a, he stands on um, standing for law enforcement if you really stand for law enforcement, then show your true colors and stand mm. for Ben Darby. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Uh, best of luck. Please keep us posted on this, and uh, hopefully the next time we speak, it'll be under better circumstances. Absolutely, Frank. I very very much appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. And if you want to help uh, Keelan and her husband, Ben, you can go to pipehitterfoundation.org. Uh, we'll take your calls next. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. WABC.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, without further ado, let's give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Let me begin with Herman in St. Louis. Hello, Herman. Hey, Frank. You know what he is. He disease control. He's not disallowing the United States Department of Justice to investigate disease control. You think that's fair that people are dying of diseases? Thank you, Herman. Michael in New Jersey. Yeah, uh, I'm just wondering, the case that we just listened to, was anybody, was it a racial thing? Did the man he No, shoot? everybody was white, as I understand it. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Just wondering. Thank you. Joe and Ron Konkuma. Another great show, Frank. Hey, Joe Biden, you better put your training wheels back on your bike. Have a good night, Frank. And finally, Hyacinth in Brooklyn. Hi, good night, Frank. Yes, I, I called earlier who recommended Dr. McCullough. I would like to sanction her because I've heard of him. I've listened to him, and I think he's a top Thank you. Thank you. We'll leave it there. Uh, Bernie and Sid coming up at 6. WABC Early News with Deb Valentine straight ahead. Frank Morano, good day. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.